Welcome to TTM Cast, your sports collectibles podcast with Jeff Baker and Drew Pelto. Sponsored by Certified Sports Guarantee. Go to csgcards.com for sports card grading for the win. And by sportscollectorsdaily.com. If it happens in the hobby, you'll find it on sportscollectorsdaily.com. And sponsored by gemrate.com. The latest grading statistic from the four major grading companies is just a click away. Visit gemrate.com. It's free. Sponsored by Collects, the free app for scanning and valuing your cards. Use the app to build your collection and buy and sell with other collectors. Turn the hobby into your side hustle. And now, here's our host, Jeff Baker. Hello, everybody, and welcome to TTM Cast, your sports collectibles podcast. We talk TTM. That's through the mail, guys. If you don't know what TTM by now, you might be in the wrong place. <laughs> we talk cards. We have autographs, collecting, and a whole lot more. My name is Jeff Baker. I'm talking to you from Boston, Massachusetts, and we have an action-packed show today with my friend and co-host from Arlington, Texas, Mr. Drew Pelto. Hey, Drew. Hey, how's it going? Very good. I'm gonna get yeah. I'm gonna get you wrapped up. You you need some energy this morning, my friend. Yeah, it's it's early. I was out last night at a. Uh, you know, you get old. You get old. You can't you can't party on school nights. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's and I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm used to being like, all right, Friday night I can go out and do this. No, I've got I got stuff to do Saturday mornings. So yeah, this is this is not good. <laughs> all right, well, I promise we will have by by the end of the show, Drew will be doing somersaults. He'll be jumping up and down. <laughs> He, Joe, Drew loves talking TTM and autographs and collecting. So, guys, make sure you check out Drew on YouTube. He posts a YouTube video just about every week. He's got a new one up there now. He is at DFW Graffer. That's DFW Graffer. Follow him on YouTube. Follow him on Twitter. No, he will not be doing threads. He thread. He will not be doing thread. He, he, he says, that's it. I'm doing enough. Right. I mean, I've got I've, every other Twitter killer I've signed up for is I've Lost interest in it within a week and just never took off. I don't see threads doing uh, much of anything either. But hey, I've been wrong on these things before, so we'll see. But yeah, I'm you know what? Off. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna stay away from your picks in football and <laughs> and your investment opportunities. <laughs> probably smart probably smart all right well i had a good week I, my birthday was uh, on the seventh. So what's that? That's two a week ago. A week yeah, ago, about a right? Week. Yeah. A week ago. So I got a lot of cards for my birthday. I got a, a bunch of series uh, two tops cards and I got some heritage. So I've, I, uh, I've been, I opened them all and I, except for one, I kept one series two box and I put them all in number order and I binded them up yesterday or, or two days ago. So I got it down. I need 16 cards for my top series one and two set. That's pretty good. Yeah. So I think I'm going to try to finish that off. And then uh, we set our fantasy football draft. I don't know if you guys play fantasy football. I've been playing it for, I don't know, 30 plus years. And uh, our draft is going to be the, for the Wednesday after Labor Day. I think it's the ninth or so or seventh, maybe of September. Uh, So I'm starting to study for that. Drew, are you a fantasy football guy? I haven't played since probably about 2016 or so. It just, it was too hard for me to enjoy watching the game when I have something right on every single game it seemed like every week. It's just, I can't sit back and enjoy it and just relax and watch it. I'd be sitting there going, oh, crap, I should have picked this guy. Or, oh, God, my opponent has this guy. So Yeah, I like I like it. It gives you a reason to watch Sunday night and Monday night games, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
and then I'm going to the Red Sox. The Red Sox and Mets. Mets are in town. I don't. I don't think I've. I can't remember if I've ever seen the Mets. I haven't seen the Mets in Fenway. I, I probably saw the Mets. Uh, I know I saw the Mets up in uh, Montreal, and I saw the Mets when I was in uh, Arizona. But looking forward to go seeing the Mets. They're they're a team with a lot of stars, right? But they're not playing very well. So should be a good game. So I'm going to the the Red Sox game on July 22nd. I don't think they're going to have anyone signing before the game. They usually only have it on the week weekdays, not on the weekend. So hmm. I don't think I'll be getting any autographs today. But uh, looking forward. And you actually went to a Rangers game yesterday, which I'm proud of you. Yeah, I went out to the uh, Guardians and Rangers yesterday. It's kind of funny because you said that the uh, Red Sox only have weekday signers. The Rangers are just the opposite. They only have weekend signers, Friday and Saturday. So kind of weird the how that balances out. But uh, yeah, the Cleveland Guardians and the Texas Rangers. Now, Globe Life Park or Globe Life Field, whatever the hell they're calling this travesty of a piece of crap that looks like a freaking grill or warehouse, is not the best place ever for autographs. And I've mentioned this before. I've gone in there and, and it used to be that at the old ballpark there, Getting 10 autographs in a day was kind of a crappy day. In there now, in the new one, 10 autographs in a day, you should be jumping up and down that you've got that many. It is just, they've made it impossible for anybody to get anything at any point, really. I mean, if you're not sitting down in the uh, single and double digit sections, you're not allowed to be down there after batting practice. Okay. So as soon as they close the netting and take the stuff off the field, you're out of there. You're gone unless you're sitting down in that section. And I mean, the netting really kind of screws it up anyway. So even if you have something down in that section, you need to get lucky and have somebody who's willing to come around and step into the, the camera wells and all that kind of stuff to be able to sign for you. So uh, yeah, nobody's really willing to do that very often either. And even next to like next to the camera wells, they now have these field level suites, so you can't get anywhere close like you used to be able to in the old ballpark. So you're already uh, hamstrung from state from step one. So I got down there during batting practice, and the only three players from the Guardians who even looked at us and signed were three guys I had nothing for. So it was Xavier uh, Curry, who I I had a photo of, but I didn't bring it with me because I don't really have a good way to toss a photo down to a player when you have to, you know make a 10 foot gap there to toss stuff down to players. Yeah. Um, they had a uh, Will Brennan, who again, I have a photo for, but didn't bring that because I can't really throw that. And uh, who's the third one was a uh, Cam Gallagher, the uh, third string catcher, backup catcher. One of the, one of the catchers that's not Bo Naylor basically. And uh, okay. yeah, I had nothing on him either. He at least has cards though. I mean, all three of those guys have cards, but I just didn't have any yet. So well, yeah, none of them signed at all. It was just super crappy to uh, begin everything. I didn't have anything for their alumni signer because it was Kevin mentioned. I've gotten all my cards done by him. Uh, I didn't have anything for the uh, TV and radio guys because, well, I didn't bother bringing anything. And number two, I think it was uh, it was Mike Baxick who was doing the pregame show for the Rangers. And I think I'm out of stuff on him by this point too. But <laughs> yeah, it was it was absolutely terrible. And then, so I'm thinking, all right, well, it's fine. I can stick around and watch the game. Oh, God, I wish I hadn't bothered with that. So <laughs> it, it was it was a nice start. Now, have you ever seen the movie Requiem for a Dream? Because if you have, you'll know that the first half of the movie makes you want to do drugs more than anything in the world. And the second half of the movie makes you never want to touch the things. Well, last night's game was just like that, where the first half makes you want to be a Guardians fan because you're up for nothing early on there. And you're like, oh, yeah, they're going to have a great second half here to start. And then you go out and they just completely crap all over themselves, like 12 to four loss because this bullpen that you've been told is going to be so freaking great from the very start of the season has been absolute shit for the last month. 
You've got I a know. closer. You're, you're who on, you've, been on your close. so, you've been on your soapbox for the for that bullpen since the start of the season. Oh, I have been, and that's because we are getting beginning spoke blown up our ass from everybody about how awesome the bullpen is and how great they're going to be all year, and that's going to be the big saving grace that's going to ride us to a division championship and into the playoffs and have a decent run once again, despite being a small market team with no money to spend. Oh no. What do they do? They get a closer who can't close games anymore. Oh, sure. He leads the league in saves. He leads the league in blown saves on top of it. All he gets is a lot of opportunities to just completely blow it if he wants to. Or maybe once in a while, he'll pull a Bob Wickman out and put the first two guys on and somehow still manage to, manage to get out with the save. Oh, you said Bob Wickman. That that name just runs chills through my spine. I used to have him on my fantasy team, and he was, oh, I hated watching him. We had so many guys like that in this closer role. I mean, Bob Wickman was like that. When he left, it was Joe Borowski took over. He'd load the bases and then managed to get three outs somehow. We had Chris Perez doing the same thing. Perez finally crapped out completely and they got rid of him. And then he tried to have drugs sent to his dog, which is really smart. <laughs> oh, God. It's, uh, yeah. And that doesn't even cover the guys in between. Try to get you from the starter out to your closer. Your closer can't close out games. Your middle relievers are blowing it like they did last night. And it's just, it was completely unwatchable now. I was going to go to Saturdays and Sundays games. I've got better stuff to spend my money <laughs> on than this team and this ballpark. And I just, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going you're... full Ken Carmen on this at this point, just about. And even that I'm kind of restrained compared to how he went. Well, you did get Ooh. a nice free hat though. Yes, I will at least say that. I mean, I I hate the Rangers right now, but at least this one's got the retired numbers on it there. It's got the, I think uh, it's cool. It's, got, it's the shape yeah. of Texas with all the retired numbers on it. I think that's a cool hat. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I wish it was a team other than the Rangers, but at least, I mean, there's two players on there that I actually really like, so it's like, all right, that's kind of cool. So. All right, well, we have to watch <sighs> the schedule uh, for next year before the, the All-Star game. I'm hoping they have a weekend series before the All-Star game because I'd love to bring Pollard out and go to a game, you know, with a Saturday or Sunday game before the All-Star game and then go do some All-Star stuff. So I'm hoping, hoping, yeah, I would think they would have be home. Don't, don't you just think they'll be home that weekend? I'm actually going to pull it up right now because the Rangers have put out their schedule. For oh, they next have. Year. Okay, check yeah, it out. It just my came out. Uh, just came out yesterday, so we should have uh, info there pretty quick. Um, I'm gonna see. They've got it on SI here. We'll see if this actually has the full schedule here or not. Um, I'm hoping because I like to go to the park. I've, I I was at the old Arlington, but I haven't been to the new mm -hmm. one. Yeah, it's. Uh, have you been to the now? Have you? Was it just the? Uh, Previous ballpark or was this the really old ballpark? No, no, this was the previous ballpark. We previous went, okay. we did the tour, and I saw a game there. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, okay, so they've got an article out here about uh, the schedule being released, and I cannot find the full schedule at all. I'm going to. All right, that's check your, that's your homework to see if we have. Had, I'm hoping they'll, they're home that weekend. I would bet they probably will. Here we go. Okay, from Lone Star Ball, the All Star game. They are on the road. The weekend. Are before. they really? Yeah, they actually have two road trips in two road series in a row to start that off. Let's see here. Open uh, open image in new tab. Well, and it says bad. here they've got uh yeah, because the all-star game is going to be July 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th. They're playing at Hugh and at the Angels the week before that. The week after the game, they're playing at home against Baltimore. Yeah, but I don't think we're gonna hang around, but I, we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Because you gotta hang you go. around. Yeah. What's that? You got to hang around an extra two days, right? It would it would it would have been better to, to have the weekend and then go to the game on Saturday or Sunday, then do the all the 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 futures game on Monday, do the mm -hmm. home run derby on Tuesday or the game on Tuesday. 
We'll yeah, see. it looks like, yeah, it's, yeah, you'd have to wait around an extra two days of nothing before doing the uh, Friday Baltimore right, game. Right, the Friday so like game. A, yeah, that would kind of We'll suck. see. All right. It was, it was a good plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good thought. It was a good idea. All right, but I would say if guys... worse came, I would say if worse came to worse, you could go up to Oklahoma and play the casinos there. You guys have casinos right there in Connecticut. It's not a, it's not a yeah, voyage for you guys. Way it is, it's not sense. a big deal. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. Well, guys, we have a really fun show for you. We had a lot, of, lot to talk about. I have uh, author Ryan Sebron. Ryan has written a new book. It's called Cardboard Profit, and we're going to give away a copy of his new book, and we're going to have him on to talk about his uh, his book. It's a really interesting book. Uh, Drew, I, I should send you off the copy of the book because I think it, I think you'd like it. All right. Cool. Yeah, definitely. We have uh, Les Wolf on. Les is going to do an appraisal. We have three items that he's appraising, as well as talking about the national and talking about his, what's the crossover thing that Les does? Oh, a crossover grid. Crossover grid that his son does. So we talk about the crossover grid uh, in my interview with Les. Uh, next week, uh, next Saturday, we're going to have Scott Hunter, former quarterback with a bunch of teams, including the Green Bay Packers. And we're going to have Greg Bates from Sports Collectors Digest, who is a freelance writer. He writes all sorts of stories for Sports Collectors Digest. We talked to him about the hobby, about the national, and he he uh, does a lot of work with the Green Bay Packers. So we talk a little Aaron Rodgers with him. It's a really fun interview. That will be next week, guys. Next week, Scott Hunter and Greg Bates. This week, we have Ryan Seaver and Les Wolf. Drew, we have all our regular segments, right? Yes, we do. We've got a Baker's Dozen coming up where we cover everything from the world of everything in collectibles, really. Any news from the previous week? Mentioned Ryan Seaver and Les Wolf both coming up here as well with interviews with them. Making the grade, covering everything in the world of grading. We've got our stamp of approval where we give our thumbs up to anything from the previous week. You never know what you're going to get out of us. Could be sports related and it might not be. You never know. We've got the uh, Vern Rap Minute covering deaths in the world of sports, celebrity music, movies, politics. Anybody that you might TTM, if they've died, we will try to keep you updated on that. And, of course, the main reason why we all are here, our TTM returns. Yeah, and we have extra special guests uh, for, make, for making grades, so that that's yes. coming as well. Guys, we love to hear from you. We love feedback. If you're interested in being part of the show and being Collector's Corner, we'd love to hear from you if you want to uh, – Make sure to copy down this email address. It is the most powerful email address in the hobby. You're going to be able to, if you have it now, you'll be able to win a uh, signed uh, sign copy, just a regular copy. He might sign it of Scott Seaver's new book. The email address is ttmcast at yahoo.com. If you didn't knew the show, Drew, Drew gets a quarter every time he does that. So I am uh, forbidden by law. His, it's his in my wife, contract. His wife will sue contract. me. That he's, yes. She's already threatened. That is Drew's baby. He he. That's that's what's it called? Job security, right, Drew? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, whoever keeps me on the air here, and that 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 does it. <laughs> all right, Drew. I think we got all our housekeeping in order. Let's yep. do a little Baker's Dozen. All right. Sounds good. Baker's Dozen, sponsored by SportsCollectorsDaily.com. Smart collectors turn to Sports Collectors Daily to stay up to date. From new releases to incredible collections hitting the auction block, news from inside the business of sports collectibles, and much more, Sports Collectors Daily has it, all with no subscription cost. SC Daily also delivers a live look at the most watched sports card auctions on eBay for every sport. Sign up to get the headlines in your email for free or just visit the website whenever you like. With 16,000 stories in the archive going back 16 years, there is always plenty to read at sportscollectorsdaily.com. Baker's Dozen is a news summary of what's been going on in the hobby. I just want to remind everyone, if you haven't done this yet, you're missing out, right, Drew? 
Yes. How would you like if someone went up to came up to you in the street and said, "Here's ten dollars, a ten dollar bill. You can spend and buy any card you want." And you know what? If you buy three dollar card, you're still gonna have seven dollars to buy uh, another card. So yeah. Collects is giving away a ten dollar coupon to their marketplace. The marketplace is officially opened uh, last week, I believe, and uh, it's really easy. All you have to do is go in uh, to your app store. And, or Google Play and sign up for Collects. It's C-O-L-L-X, sign up for Collects. Then just send us your Collects name and your email address, and we will have Collects send you a $10 coupon. It's that easy. And it just shows up right in your 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 profile, right, Drew? It's just sitting there yep. in your, your money, your profile. And I actually went out and I bought a 1980 Topps Burger King Fred Lynn card for three nice. bucks, and, that, and shipping was included. So I, I checked on eBay. It was they were they was going anywhere from two to two to five dollars? I'm like, okay, no problem. That's, and and uh, so I I placed my order. Took about I don't know thirty seconds. You can go into the marketplace, search out any player you want, any card you want, and they'll come up. And I found another card that I'm going to buy. So I'm I'm holding out hope that it, that I can get it. And it, I think it's six dollars. So I may th- might have a dollar left. Or maybe I can maybe I can give you the dollar so you can get an eleven dollar card instead of a ten dollar card. All right. But make sure you go on on to Collects, uh, go on your in Google Play or your App Store, sign up for Collects, and you can get a free ten dollars to use towards their marketplace. And we're gonna have Ted Mann from Collects coming on uh, next week uh, on TTM Cast One Hundred One on on uh, Wednesday to talk about uh, building the marketplace and the trials and tribulations of building the marketplace, and, and, and tell you a little about uh, the coupon again. So make sure you, you, you all you have to do is send us your name and your Collects. Uh, name your collects username and collect will do the rest. All you have to do is email it to us at ttmcast at yahoo.com. Very good, Drew. Do we do we need a drum roll because we have a raffle winner? I can do one. I do got one. that. I've got that ability. Do one. All right, Drew. We have a raffle winner. Well, you might yes. have to do the honors. All right, our raffle winner this week for the Jim Lonborg signed was a small photo five by seven. Five by seven photo. So Jim Lamborg, five by seven blonde photo. Go to Alan Lewis of North Carolina. Drew, this one, honestly, I probably got 60 people sign up to win this thing. Wow. It was unbelievable. I had so many people. I can't, I thank everyone for entering. I wish I had 60 uh, pictures to give away. Yeah. I was so happy. So thank you guys for, for entering. And, and we love uh, to give away stuff. If we get extra stuff to give away to our, our listeners, things that, that people donate, uh, we love to give stuff away. So Alan, congratulations. I actually dropped your picture in the mail on Friday, yesterday. So you should have it in the next couple of days. Uh, some national news uh, to report. Derek Jeter is going to be at the national. I don't believe he's been at the national for a while, right, Drew? Yeah, I definitely don't remember him uh, being a signer at all. I mean, there's there's a few nationals I've missed here and there. Mostly anything not in Cleveland. I don't remember him being being on the list for a few years anyway. Yeah, not at all. I mean, that's uh, that's that's definitely big. Yeah, well, he's going to be in the Arena Club uh, booth at the National. I don't know if he's going to be signing or not, but um, maybe I'm going to try. I'll I'll stop by with every every other person, try to maybe get his picture or see if we can get an autograph. We'll keep you posted. Also, in the VIP lounge, which is um, sponsored by uh, Ludex, they are going to have Brian Erlacher is going to be there on Friday signing. So Brian Erlacher from the Chicago Bears will be in the VIP lounge on Friday signing. So that's that's kind of a a neat one. Uh, I don't believe there's going to be a charge for it. I can't say that for 100 percent. 
Uh, it's free, not free, but I think it is. Don't, wouldn't you say so, right? What, isn't that yeah. what Bill said? Yeah, typically they, uh, I mean, yeah, they didn't mention anything about a charge for it when I saw the email there. And uh, typically anytime that they bring in like a signer at a corporate booth or something, they typically are a free signer. So that's a big one right there for being able to get him for the VIP lounge. And if anybody's going to the national and you get a signed rookie card of his, I would be interested in trading for it. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have his rookie card. I have a, I have a tops card, but I don't know what year it is though. I just, yeah, I don't have his rookie card here at all either, but uh, I mean, it's a, it's, you know, a 2000s era card there by top. So I don't think it would cost that much to get a hold of at all. So if I was going, I'd definitely be picking that up on my way out. Yeah. Hold on. I got it right here. It is. Yeah. No, this is certainly not his rookie card. This is yeah. 2010. Okay. It's 2000. Yeah. His rookie card would have been like what, maybe Oh three or thereabouts somewhere around there. Can you see it? Yeah. Yep. 2010. Yeah. I just, I, I was going through cards the other day and I saw it and I said, Oh, maybe I'll, yeah, he is. His first season was 2006. Six. Okay, I was off a little bit. So, so right around around there. Maybe I'll look and see, see if it see if uh, I can pick it up beforehand. But very cool. All right, guys, we have some, a lot of new releases. Uh, you know, the company, the, all the manufacturers are getting ready for the national with, with some new releases this week. Mm-hmm. And we've got a panini with some uh, baseball. Their first off the line 2023 Prism baseball is available. You get 12 packs of 12 cards in each box. Three autographs out of that box as well. That's going to run you $350. So good to see that uh, Prism price is coming back to earth a little bit. Yeah, and I think Panini cannot have current players anymore. I think they lost that with the Players Association. So I think I don't think it's, they can have current players. They can have guys that are in the minors, and they mm-hmm. can have uh, veterans, but I don't think they can produce cards of current players. Is that correct? The, if they have an individual contract with the player, then they can do something of them. So that goes for prospects past players and current players if they have an individual contract with them, but they don't have the full protection of the players association the way they did up until last year. Well, we have a soccer release. It's first off the line, 2022-23 Panini impeccable soccer. You get four autos, one auto plus one auto or memorabilia. There's one pack of eight cards. This is a high-end product guys, $3,000. We're talking about it with Clemente Lise last week. Um, It's a, it's a nice product. It's a really good looking product, but you know, if you're into soccer, uh, impeccable soccer first off the line, $3,000. I bet when, uh, when we get, we don't have the first off the line. I bet it's about seven, eight hundred dollars, right? Yeah, it'll come down a bit for sure. That's uh, typically that first off the line has some real nice bonuses inside it. So yeah, that's, that's the uh, that's the price increase right there. And then we have your baby coming out. Yes, Panini Mosaic uh, draft picks college football will be uh, coming out as well. You get two packs, fifteen cards. There's two autographs in there though, so pretty good stuff. And that Mosaic uh, product has always been really popular here ever since the Panini has come up with it. That's going to run you about $400 right there. But, I mean, that's going to be your top draft picks from this year that are all in that product. And this is kind of a, a raffle one, right? This is a raffle ticket yes. one or a lottery ticket one, 2022 tops MLS Resistance. It's a hobby box. is going for $200. You get one encased auto and one encased foil auto. Uh, you know, if you're in into the MLS, when, uh, when Messi is, is there next year, I think that product will sell a lot, don't you? That's going to explode next year. I mean, Messi's popular everywhere you know being argentinian he's popular in south america having played for barcelona and psg he's popular in europe and put him into mls and he's gonna be hugely popular in the u.s too do you guys have an mls team does uh dallas have an mls team yeah we've got fc dallas and we actually are also home to the uh, national soccer hall of fame in frisco so that's uh yeah we've got a very big soccer presence here you're gonna go see messi next year 
I guarantee I will not be able to get a ticket for it. Cause I know like, even like when David Beckham came through with LA galaxy, those ones were crazy sold out. Yeah. We met somebody at, at the Red Sox game a couple weeks ago that has uh, season tickets mm-hmm. for the revolution. Yep. So uh, I've already, I've already got the bug in her ear and uh, like, uh, I want to go see Messi one time. Cause I think they come in a couple times. I don't think it's just a one, one time thing. Right. Yeah, I don't know the MLS schedule too much, but I mean, it's not a really huge league at all. So I think everybody's got to cut them in at least probably once to twice. So yeah, I would I think, think so. twice. And we also, Tops has a really cool release this week. Tops Tribute has hit the shelves six packs, three cards per pack. Going to get six hits in that box, though. So some uh, pretty jam packed uh, box right there. Three autos and three relics in among all of that. That's the good news. The bad news $500, a little uh, steep on the price there, but. For that kind of stuff that's going to be coming out of there, that that sounds pretty good, actually. I've been picking up a lot of old Topps tribute, you know, Red Sox stuff for for pretty cheap money, you know, under ten dollars. Yeah, that's. I mean, I'm sure, like you know, the big hits are going to sell for big money, but you might be able to grab some of the lower end stuff there on a little bit cheaper here in a couple of years. Yeah, I think I think that's the way to go. All right, well, that wraps up our uh, new releases, but we have a lot more news to tell you. Some auction news: the T two o six. Cronus Wagner is coming to auction this fall uh, under Mile High uh, Card Company. In October of 2022, a PSA 1.5 was sold by Golden Auctions for $3.7 million. This one is a graded authentic and restored. I guess they tried to um, fix up some creases in it. So it is an authentic card, but it's re- it's restored. So I'm sure it's going to go in that, well, probably $1 million to $2 million. Would you think, Drew? Yeah, it's definitely gonna be a seven-figure card. I don't think it's gonna hit that a uh, three point seven that the uh, that that uh, PSA one point five sold for, but I could see it possibly topping two though. Yeah, but anytime a T two hundred six comes into uh, the marketplace, it's it's news. Yeah, it absolutely is. Some some uh, news from Fanatics, Drew. Yeah, we've got a Fanatics is now getting into show business. Aside from already uh, getting their grubby meat hooks on everything with. Uh, Apparel and cards are now getting into doing shows. They're going to open a new division to create a Comic-Con type shows starting next year. going to be working with IMG to do that. No word on how that might impact the national or anything, but uh, I'm sure that everybody's kind of looking at this going, oh, crap, this, uh, yep. this, this could be a problem here. But we'll see. I mean, if they can keep separate from the national and keep the national as a big show, then all right, maybe they can coexist side by side there. But at the same time, I'm sitting here looking at it going, oh, boy. This, yeah, this might not be good. I, I hope it. I hope it doesn't affect the national because the national is just so much fun. And you and I, you and I love going. And I, uh, a lot of collectors out there love going. And if you haven't been to a national, I recommend putting on your calendar. It's worth. It, it's worth the four or five days of uh, being there and seeing all the guys signing and and bumping into all all, all people that you know and and meeting uh, celebrities from the uh, hobby. It's really a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. If I mean, if you're a serious collector at all, you need to go to at least one of them and might as well do it now before Fanatics possibly uh, goes uh, horning in on their territory here. So, yeah, if you're uh, if you're if you're not able to get to Chicago this year, hey, get to Cleveland next year, get to Chicago in two years, get get on some up. Uh, yeah, it gives you a reason to go to Cleveland and try out all those good restaurants. Exactly. That's what I've been telling people. I mean, there's Melt, there's everything Michael Simon does. You can swing into town easily for all those kinds of places there. Yeah, along stay, with the show. stay away from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's a it's a disappointment. It's worth seeing once. If you see it once, you don't need to go again, though. It's yeah, yeah. My my fam- my daughter and wife went and they were they were like, I can't believe we went to see that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 underwhelming a bit. And it's not like the baseball hall of fame. Baseball hall of fame, I could just set up uh, a tent and live in the, live there. 
Oh yeah. I could, I mean, you, you want to give me a trip there once a year. I am totally on it. Rock and roll hall of fame. I've been to twice already. And the last time was 20 years ago and I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I love, I love the baseball hall of fame. I love Cooperstown. If you have guys, if you haven't been uh, side note, right. Let's let's sidetrack a little off the rail a little if you haven't been to cooperstown i recommend going especially uh in the springtime when it's not a million degrees out uh it, you know i was i was i watched the i follow the hall of fame and their crowds are uh, becoming record crowds in terms of people going to the hall they're getting back to pre pre-pandemic uh numbers so it's great to see a lot of people are going all right drew i'm going to give you a name moonlight yes. graham Oh, nice. There we go. <laughs> Moonlight Graham, his night, he is not, he was a, he played one inning for the San Francisco Giants, the, the New York Giants, played in the field, never got at bat, and then he quit and became a doctor. And this is Field of, field of Dreams, right? Yeah. Field of Dreams, he was featured in his 1951 Chisholm, uh, Minnesota yearbook, because uh, he was a doctor at the high school, <laughs> excuse me sold for an auction for $8,000. So there's not a lot of autographs of Moonlight Graham out there. So not a bad deal, $8,000 for his autograph. Yeah, that's pretty decent. Right there. I mean, there's a lot of the uh, kind of semi-unknowns out there whose autographs go for big money. You get a guy like Clancy Smyers, for example. Yep. So yeah, I mean, Moonlight Graham, I mean, that's a, that's not just a baseball reference. It's a pop culture reference right in there as well. Very cool. Well, how about this one? How, PWCC auction result. Yes, they had the 1986 Patrick Y, a PSA 10. That is his rookie card. It has a, pop, a PSA 10 population of only 90 out there. Card number 53 in that set, $9,000 on that, which, I mean, for for being Patrick Y's rookie card, it's like, all right, that makes sense. But for a pop 90, that's like, wow, that's a surprisingly uh, high amount there. But at the same time, more affordable than some of the guys like, you know, Gretzky and Lemieux out there for sure. Yeah, that, that I thought that was a pretty good deal. Yeah. And uh, another auction news, they're, they're all over the place. They're coming out of the woodwork, Drew. Uh, SGC number uh, rated nine, 1952 Mickey Mantle will be coming to auction this summer on Heritage Auction, HA auction, HA.com. Uh, they have a summer platinum night auction. Bidding opens July 28th. So start getting out all your empties, right? Save yep. all those empties and, and, and go Find everyone that owes you money, and you can put a bid on a 1952 SGC 9 Mickey Mantle. What do you think that's going to go for? Oh, man, an SGC 9, that's... $8 million, I mean, you're talking, $7 million, maybe? Yeah, I was thinking at least $5 million and probably closer to 7 or 8 or so. That's going to be Well, the, nine, be real the nice. 9.5 is the one that went for $12 million, so yeah. um, I would I, I would think at least 6 maybe, huh? Yeah, I'm thinking, I mean, I don't think it's going to top 10 at all, but yeah, somewhere between... I'd say, I think you're right there with uh, the six to eight range or so. Yeah. Well, we'll keep you posted as soon as, as soon as it goes, the bidding's up there. So if you want, if you want to get any your bids in, you'll have a chance. Maybe, maybe Drew, maybe you and I can pool our money and I can own it on uh, the even number of days and you can have it on the odd number of days. Hey, sounds good to me. I'll take it. <laughs> Jen, he's bidding on a $7 million card. <laughs> I've got my headphones. Nobody can hear that. <laughs> We've got a more. Good. Okay, yeah, I'll go for it. So we've got more from the uh, more from the boa constrictor. That's fanatic squeezing another one out here. They have signed Jackson Holiday to an exclusive autograph deal. Holiday just promoted to Double A this week. Of course, he was the uh, number one pick. What last year's draft? Last year, yeah. So yeah, rapidly making the rise through there. Matt Holiday's son going through the system and. He's been a very good autograph signer at games, I've heard, especially compared to anybody else that's been, you know, number one pick or number, hell, even top five pick recently. 
But Fanatics has gotten him now for an exclusive autograph deal. So if you haven't gotten him at a ball game, it might be a little bit tougher now. Yeah, you shit out of luck, right? Yeah. <laughs> Unless you do it uh, uh, under the cover of darkness or something. Yeah, exactly. Find him one-on-one somewhere with no cameras around and sign a quick one for you. Well, that wraps up Baker's Dozen for the week. We had a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of news yeah. going on in the hobby. Everyone's getting ready for the National in, in uh, what are we, a week away now, right, Joe? Two weeks away? Yeah, about maybe, what, a week and a half weeks, yeah. something like that. Still looking forward to it. Well, next up, we have Collector's Corner. And now it's time for Collector's Corner. Let's hear from our collector this week. This segment is sponsored by Collects, the free app for scanning and valuing your cards. Check out the new Collects Marketplace to sell and buy cards. Turn the hobby into your side hustle today. So I had the opportunity to speak with Ryan Seaver. Ryan is a author of a book called Cardboard Profit. It kind of gives you a framework of how to uh, sell cards, make money on selling cards. And it's really, it's a good book. Um, It's a pretty quick read. I think I read it in like two or three days. And uh, I talked to Ryan about uh, how he came up with the idea of writing the book, uh, some of the trials and tribulations, the roadblocks he hit. And we talk a lot about that. So you can follow Ryan at Cardboard Profit on uh, social media. He is also at CardboardProfit.com. And we're going to give away a, a copy of his book. And I'll, I'll try to have him sign it. I can't, he, I, I, can't, I can't say that for 100% sure, but we're going to give away a copy of his book. Uh, so if you want to register to win a copy of his book, just send us your name and your mailing address too. TTMcast at yahoo.com. And we'll pick the winner of that next week. So please enjoy my interview with Ryan Seaver from Cardboard Profit. All right, guys, I'd like to welcome author and entrepreneur. His name is Ryan Seaver. He has a brand new book out. It's called Cardboard Profit. He is on Facebook at Cardboard Profit as well as Instagram on Cardboard Profit. And we'll talk to Ryan about uh, selling cards and what inspired him to write the book. And his book is Cardboard Profit, the Strategic Playbook for Making Money with Sports Cards. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So did you ever think you'd consider yourself an author, right? You were always an entrepreneur. Now you you get to put author in your, your bio. Yeah, it's something new. It's something that I've thought about for a long time. I've uh, been slinging cards for well over a decade now and collecting for the better part of 30 years. So um, never really uh, thought it would come to fruition, though. And one day just decided to sit down and, and just start writing and see what happened. And uh, it turned into a book. <laughs> so here we are. Was it an easy book for you to write or did did you have to um, re- really uh, take things out and put things in and kind of play it by ear as you were writing it? You know, the funny part is the the writing was actually the easiest part. And the book is something 150, 200 pages or so. Um, it was everything outside of the writing uh, that comes with publishing. So figuring out the cover art and, you know, working with a graphic designer on the inside of the book to make sure it was formatted correctly to fit Amazon's specifications so that the the words weren't running into the gutter in the middle of the pages and everything. So uh, a lot of stuff to learn. You know, I'm new to this, but it was a lot of fun. Definitely a, a fun undertaking. And, and how long did it take you to write? Because, you know, I know you have 30 years of experience behind you, but how long did it take you to write the book? Yeah, so I actually started a website a, about a year, year and a half ago now, uh, cardboardprofit.com. And I, I set out to, so just to back up, you know, I've, I've talked to people constantly about how to make money with cards. You know, what's your strategy? I'm always trying to learn from other people. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm, know everything, not by any means. There's always something to learn. And 
the fun part about this market is there are lots of different approaches that can work. So constantly talking with people over the years about their strategies. And I thought to myself, like, I've never actually documented any of this. And I say the same things over and over to people as, you know, you have a buddy that joins or someone asks you online, you know, how do you do this or that? And I decided, like, let me just try to put this in writing so that I can just say, here's here's the basics. But if you want my full take on it, like, here's my website, go read about it. And I figured I don't have a following. I'm not a big deal. I'm not special in any way, really, other than, you know, I know uh, cards and how to make money with them. But um, I figured if I just focused on putting good content out there, I could figure out how to get it out there into the world and package it the right way after the fact as more of a secondary focus. So providing value was kind of the first thought here. So I started writing a little bit, um, getting back to your question here, and had a few articles up, had no idea how to promote it. Kind of didn't really want to it like the idea of being a i don't know a sports card world celebrity is not appealing to me uh <laughs> but yeah, I, um i'm kind of an introvert in that way but um did want to share the knowledge as best as i could and came to find out that there were some books on amazon that were actually selling more copies than i expected to see and once i saw like people were actually putting books out there and you know having some success moving them I took the the content that I had on the website and basically repackaged it and wrote the rest of the book in two, three weeks. So it was a really fast process once I committed to it. It was just sitting down and <laughs> pounding it out and, and it was so much fun. And I think that that's part of what gives me confidence that I did the right thing to, to, to write the book is it was so easy to write. It was there. It was just yeah. a matter of, you know, setting your mind to it and, and sitting down and getting started. I think the starting point was the hardest part. As you say, you didn't have any um, industry cred, let's say, in terms of uh, a name like a Jeff Wilson or some of these other guys that are out there. Um, has it been difficult for you to um, establish your credibility to to the, the marketplace and to the hobby? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think it would probably be a lot easier if I had 40,000 Instagram followers or something like that. I think I'm up to a whopping 123 as of this morning. So, you know, we're getting there slowly, but surely. But um, you know what? I think that uh, at the end of the day, I've had a lot of success in this market and I'm not claiming to be the utmost expert. I don't want to be that person. I just want to provide a perspective of here's what's worked for me. And if I can help empower and educate someone out there and just give them a tip that that helps accelerate their card venture in some way great mission accomplished and certainly you know there i think one of the um things that surprised me is how many people i talk to in my life just friends and family and and whatever that they're not card people but they know someone who is they know their you know 14 year old nephews trying to get into it and they don't know where to start so they bought in my book and and you know now they have a little bit of guidance from just someone that's been around the block a little bit longer so that's that's been probably the coolest part is not necessarily putting too much pressure on myself to have a massive following because that stuff takes time. Um, yeah. I will say I'm trying to grow it a little bit and, you know, get the word out a little bit more. And um, I, I'll, here's a wildly shameless plug. If you're on Instagram, follow at Cardboard Profit. Um, I'm trying to put out at least one, you know, helpful, thought provoking, you know, piece of commentary or tip around sports cards every single day. and just posting with some consistency to see if I can help a few people out. I think, you know, the best word that you said was guidance. I think you, you the book certainly offers guidance specifically to the new collector or somebody that's only been collecting for a year or two. Uh, I think it's 
likened it, I liken it to um, bowling, where when you're a kid and you went bowling and you had the, the gutter, gutter things on the alley to keep the, the bumpers, bumpers yeah. The bumpers from keeping it going into the gutter. I think that's what your book does in terms of as a collector. You know, I've been collecting for 30, 40 years like you, but I never, I never considered, you know, if I was going to sell, well, here's all the steps, steps to that you got to consider when you're selling. And it was kind of, it would kind of keep me on, on track. And I think that's what the book does. Is that kind of your take as well? Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. And and I was trying to nail down, okay, who is my actual target market? Is this valuable for someone that has equal or more experience than I do? Yeah, sure. I mean, maybe because there are different perspectives and maybe people approach things differently and they can read the book and say, okay, yeah, I've been doing this for 40 years and I know more than Ryan does. Sure, there's people out there that do, but I had never thought about this specific topic in this way. So maybe I can apply that to my business and, and accelerate my growth. I think for the most part, it's geared toward the beginner and intermediate crowd who maybe they're card enthusiasts, but they just don't necessarily have the experience. Uh, frankly, they probably haven't made the number of mistakes that I have over the years and had the chance to learn from them. So it's kind of like, how can you take the better part of two decades of doing this as a business um, and compress that level of experience and the mistakes and all of that stuff, the learnings from that time period into an easily digestible book that someone can pick up and read in a few days. So that, I think that's kind of the overarching uh, goal is how can we basically shorten the learning curve for those folks that, that are interested in this, in this space. I was going to ask you, what do you think the biggest mistake novice investors make and what is the um, maybe the preconceived notion of investing in sports cards that's not really true? Let's see. That's a good question. I think um, probably my favorite piece of advice is understanding opportunity cost and understanding that I think a lot of people make the mistake of getting super tied to, here's what I paid for this item. I'm sorry. I don't know who needs to hear this, but someone does. Nobody cares what you paid. It does not impact the future value whatsoever. And I'll caveat, okay, if you've got like a rare one of one or something where it's the only one and people don't have another option, fine. Then what you paid matters because you can dictate the price. But otherwise, don't worry so much about what you paid. Worry about where is the card's value going moving forward. So sometimes that means as painful as it might be, the right move can be to sell for a small loss and move on to something that's going to make you way more money moving forward. Things change and we've got to adjust our strategy accordingly as we you know, maybe have a bigger sample size of performance for a certain player to better judge who they are and who they are not. Um, you know, People do crazy dumb stuff off the field too that uh, <laughs> certainly can impact values in a negative way. And it's like, do you want to hold on and, and stay on that sinking ship or you know, maybe it's time to just cut bait and, and take the loss, but then put that money into something that can make you way more money instead of holding on, hoping for a miracle that values get back to where they are. And I think coming out of the pandemic, there's a lot of that going on right now. Still, two years later, after the market kind of boomed and, you know, sort of started to crash a little bit, people are still holding out for values that are simply not coming back. And it, the best move is going to be, okay, if that value is not coming back, what are you waiting for? Is that really the best card to have your money tied up in? Or is there something else out there that you do better on if you just, you know, let go of your ego and, and stopped worrying about winning on every single card and made the move that's going to help you make the most money moving forward? 
Yeah, I think uh, it's really hard to take emotion and ego out of the equation of making money because definitely um, we, we all think we're, we're experts and that we know that the next Aaron Judge is going is going to be uh, Jason Dominguez, but Jason Dominguez is in the Mendoza line right now, and he, exactly. he, he can't hit over two hundred. So I think taking the emotion and the ego out of the equation is probably the most difficult thing uh, to a big hurdle that you have to that the investor has to overcome. Don't you think? Absolutely, yeah. I think you hit it on the head, and and that's where. I try to look at things as objectively as possible. And, and that's the hard part because it's not stocks that we're trading here. It's, it's athletes that we're looking at. You know, I, I like baseball cards. They're fun. They look cool. They, I want to put them on display in my office. You know, I've got a, a pile of them on my desk right next to me that I like to look at. I like players. I like to get attached to them and follow their stats and their box scores every single day and watch them on TV. So it's not that it's hard to completely remove the emotion but sometimes I think to be as effective as possible, if you look at this objectively as how do I maximize my cardboard profit, if you will, uh, right. you is, know, is Warren Buffett uh, got emotion in his investing strategy when he's investing in Apple or or uh, some new company or IBM or whatever? Probably not. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So how can you remove as much of that as possible and just worry about making the right decision moving forward? One of the things that I really enjoyed was um, your the chapter about um, the mountain, where where a player has ups, peaks and valleys, ups and downs, and um, you were very good about talking about you can you, 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 there's always a time to be get in and out of a player. Just because you, you're in the player at the beginning and he's very hot and the hype is big, well then you can jump unload his cards for a profit, but then jump back it in, jump back in if he all of a sudden becomes not a, a popular player. You know, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. was probably one. He came up and all there was a huge hype for him. And then for a year or two, it was down. And then now, you know, he's winning the, the home run derby and I'm sure his cards are going to swing back up. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's the hardest part is nobody knows the future. Like we don't know, are we at the top of the mountain or is it going to keep on going? And that's the fun part is trying to predict based on all available evidence, all performance, you know, the, the reports about the guy's character and what you see on TV, you know, what is this guy's most likely future going to be? And does it, does he have what it takes to, you know, really accelerate and exceed expectations to push his cards uh, higher than they are today? And really the the point of the, the, uh, the analogy there, the mountain is like, you don't have to be in on the ground floor. Like if you get in halfway up the mountain, you still got the other half to, to profit on, you know? So, yeah. so don't worry so much about where cards were yesterday. Worry more about where they're going tomorrow is kind of the, the overarching theme there. One of the things that you really touched on uh, really uh, through the whole book is prospecting. And uh, that that's a big thing that everyone loves to find the next diamond in the rough, right? Ever the uh, Dela Cruz from Cincinnati is the hot, the hot guy this, this week. And uh, who's going to be is, you know, is, is Marcelo Meyer going to be the, the guy next week? And you, you just don't know. So um, there is a lot of uh, risk in prospecting, but you have to be careful when you prospect as well. Right. Yeah, I think the longer you hold after a player hits the major leagues, if we're talking baseball anyway, the yeah. riskier it becomes. Because basically values are going to be the most volatile. They can change up and down quickly. You know, that's what I mean by volatility um, with the, the smaller sample size of performance. 
like the bigger the sample size, the more we know about the player, the more people just get it into their minds. Okay, this is who this guy is. And then it's a lot harder for that player to, they would basically have to exceed everyone's expectations of them for card values to, to increase from there. And so if we're dealing with the small sample size, okay, I might strike out four times in my major league debut, but if I go out tomorrow and hit two home runs, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right, right? Like you got two home runs in two games. Uh, but if it takes me two weeks to hit two home runs, that's a little bit different of a picture where people aren't going to be quite as excited. It's a bigger sample size and I've only got two home runs. You know, it, it kind of goes with the territory of um, debuts. You got to be ready to sell while the iron's hot. Um, unless you truly believe that the player can back it up with performance. So there's, there's some nuance there because different players, of course, are going to debut at different values. And sometimes they're, you know, are better values than others. Even really good prospects and really good players can still be bad value when you look at their cards, if they're overinflated for one reason or another. Yeah. And there's uh, not much logic to it. When you look at in football, if you look at a guy like Justin Herbert, who hasn't really done anything on the field, he hasn't, he hasn't shown that he is a, 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 you know, top five quarterback. And yet he is still one of the hottest guys to collect in the NFL and, you know, and conversely, Joe Burrows has made a couple of, uh, he made the Super Bowl, he's made, done some uh, other things, and he's not as hot as Justin Herbert. So it's kind of, it, it, there's no logic to it sometimes, because it is emotional to a point. Yeah, when I, I was listening to your last episode of the show and heard you make this comparison too of Herbert to Burrow, and I couldn't agree more with you. I, I personally like Burrow a lot better, but I understand at least why people like Herbert because he seems like he's one of those up and coming rising stars. People love to speculate and it's all about, okay, is this the year that he makes the jump? Can he make the leap this year? And that's, I think what people are buying into right now. Um, it's a pretty exciting time for, for NFL quarterbacks because there's a lot of speculation happening and there's a pretty solid young crop of, of uh, talent in that. You know, if you think about the 10, 12, 15 guys that people are really focused on in the card market right now. And in terms of investment, I think people have to, and you mentioned this in the book, we're talking about the card cardboard profit, the strategic playbook for making money with sports cards. This is by our friend Ryan Seaver, who we're speaking with today. And one of the things that that people, uh, when you're when you're investing, you have to consider fees like grading fees, EBA, eBay fees, taxes, uh, shipping fees, all this other stuff that can certainly eat away at profit. And I don't think the buyers or the sellers really think about that. Yeah. Sometimes you hear people, you know, buy something for a hundred bucks and sell it for 110 bucks. And they're like, Hey, I made $10. No, you didn't. You just lost 10, right? Cause you got to <laughs> pay all those fees and, and you paid tax on the, the purchase when you made it. it. If you think about it this way, if you buy a card on eBay with the intent to resell it on eBay, as unless you're in Oregon or wherever, they don't have sales tax. You're basically down 20% when you make that purchase. Like you have to exceed 20% profit to actually profit on the card because there's roughly 13% of uh, fees for eBay and somewhere around, you know, six, seven, eight, 10%, whatever your state charges for sales tax. So you gotta take those things into consideration and make sure that you're buying into something that offers more upside than that. Do you prefer uh, selling online to uh, eBay or PWCC, which is an auction site or buysportscards.com as opposed to 
setting up a, a local show and pay, paying the $35, $50, whatever it is for the local show, where do you think it, it's more cost effective and where, do, where is there a, a better chance of having success, do you think, at uh, selling direct or selling online? Yeah, I think it really, when you look at shows, um, and you know, this is timely with the national coming up in a few weeks here, I think it really comes back to who's your audience going to be, who's going to walk in the door, how big is the show going to be, what kind of other stuff is going to be there with, you know, the folks that are setting up at other tables and how much does it cost? Cause it's, it's similar, right? Like eBay is going to charge their fees. The show is going to charge you a fee for your table. I know the national is not cheap to, to grab some table space by yep. any means. So you got to take all that into consideration. Um, personally, I, I'm a big fan of online and I, I really like Facebook. I I'm pretty active in some of the groups on there, but there are some, you know, very big, very active Facebook groups that you can buy and sell and you're only paying PayPal fees there um, since, you know, you're kind of off of eBay, but you can still reach a very large audience. I think that's the biggest draw of eBay is the audience is so big, but if you can get onto one of those bigger groups that's got a lot of members constantly checking and looking for stuff, you can be pretty successful uh, depending on what your inventory is, of course. But if you've got stuff that people are looking for, you know, it's a good way to save on fees. You talk about this in the book, and I, I like to just expand expand on it. Um, buy as opposed to th there's kind of two ways you can go, right? You can go and buy twenty base cards of a guy, or you can try to buy one um, short print zebra patch, whatever card of the guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> which which would which would you recommend for for someone that's trying to uh, enter enter into um, selling cards and is very inexperienced? Yeah, well, I think the before you even look at that, consider your budget and stay within your budget. That's the the biggest rule here. It, you know, I, when I first started, I had no money at all. I was working on a college budget of virtually nothing. Uh, it was kind of like, uh, you know, do you want to buy this card and hope you can flip it, or do you want to buy yourself dinner tonight? <laughs> like, uh, there were some some uh, days that that were tough early on, but as I was starting to build my venture, but I think my strategy has changed over the years as I've kind of built up my card inventory and the value of it has, has shifted. I like to focus when I'm looking at longer term plays, I want the rarest thing that I can afford to, okay. to buy. I want to put that away, something that people don't get to see. And I don't want to list it either until I think it's time to sell it. Because I think that there's, I'll call it like fatigue almost from being overly exposed. People get used to really cool cards that they shouldn't be allowed to get used to unless they own it. Uh, and so when you list something and you put it at this price where it's basically like a, a museum or something, you know, no one can ever touch the price because it's so unrealistic. People are just looking at that card every single day, getting bored by it. When someone has a big performance, let's go back to Joe Burrow. Let's say he throws for five touchdowns and then you drop the zebra, you know, crazy patch thing on onto eBay. All of a sudden there's like this massive card that hits the market and people are already excited about Burrow, and this is the first time that they've maybe seen one for a long time, they're going to be a lot more likely to try to jump on that before someone else does versus a card that's been sitting there. So um, back to your original question though. Yeah. Rarity for the long haul. If you're looking at flipping, especially if you're newer or have a, a lower budget, big fan of buying lower end stuff. Base cards are okay. I try to avoid base even um, you know, getting into like a base refractor or a, a silver prism or something that's got a little bit of rarity to it. Yeah. Uh, and doing some grading is always a good way to kind of build a profit margin for yourself. So that's that's kind of what I look at if you're uh, working on a smaller budget, like like I was when I was first getting going. 
question for you. Rookie cards or first Bowman cards? Is there an opportunity there that first Bowman cards are um, undervalued? Yeah, I think for baseball specifically, let, let's just say we're going to talk about baseball since it's yep. different for football and basketball. But it's hard to say because the market has shifted quite a few times over the years. You know, when I was first getting started, it was you want the Bowman Chrome first Bowman Chrome card. And they they didn't have autos for every single player. It was probably 2008 or so when they started um, making the like last year's Bowman Chrome draft class had a non-auto card. And they put all the autos into 2008 Bowman. So those players for the first time, it was like, okay, do I go for the non-auto because it was first or do I go for the auto because it's theoretically a better card, right? And so um, these days it's, you know, it's, it's shifted to where that's just become the norm. And so people always go for the autos. Lately, people have been, I think it's really since Mike Trout kind of drove the tops update and paper tops revolution, if you will, where people are looking at those cards, the, the RC logo um, you know, tops card for a lot of the, the star players and saying that this is the best way to go. It's better than the the first Bowman because it's got the RC logo on it. And now Tops Chrome is kind of coming back now that we're out of the craziness of the pandemic where people were buying, you know, base cards of not good players for a lot of money, um, kind of transcending logic there for a bit. But, I, you know, so it's really shifted. I, I personally am a fan of Tops Chrome. I love that product for rookie cards. You've got autos, you've got non-auto. So whatever fits your budget and your, um, you know, non-auto refractors and parallels and stuff. So there's something for everyone, I think, in that product. Um, but that's that's the way I'm kind of leaning right now myself. What's your thoughts on um, high-end products, you know, Panini and, and Tops, you know, the Tops um, triple threads or the museums or some of these uh, high-end products that, that, that uh, you know, they put the rookie logo on it and, and all of a sudden, you know, Wanda Franco has 75 rookie cards. As a collector and as a seller, how do you know which direction to 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 zig whenever else is zagging or how you know what what where 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 would you put your your money and your attention to on something like that yeah that's a that's a good question too i think um as a collector i think it's great because you know when you're collecting it's up to you what you want to put value on and what you like the most and what appeals to you and your collecting style the most so you have tons of options that all are considered a rookie card if rookie cards are your thing pick which brand you like the best and go buy it and be happy you know if you're looking at selling it in the future, it, it really comes back to sticking with the the top, say, you know, three to five brands. The further away from those you go, usually you're sacrificing some liquidity. So it's going to be harder for you to sell that card in the future, even if the player is rising like crazy or whatever. Usually people are looking at Bowman Chrome, Tops Chrome, like that's, you know, and autos or non-autos, whatever. But and then uh, Paper Tops Base are usually the first three places I would look. Uh, if you're looking at investing in something. And again, you have options within those products. You want autos versus non-autos, paper base versus parallels versus chrome base. You know, it's, it's up to you how you uh, approach it. What's your thought uh, on uh, single cards versus unopened hobby boxes or, or blaster boxes uh, as an invest uh, an investment in the future? Is it, uh, are you willing to uh, purchase uh, hobby boxes and blaster boxes and hold on to them for five years or whatever before they they uh, they reach some type of value or is it easier just to go buy and you know buy, get the Wander Franco and, and De La Cruz single cards and, and work from there? 
Well, I have to be honest, Jeff, you're asking the wrong person because I have no discipline and those hobby boxes <laughs> would last in my closet for about five minutes before I was ripping into them. So uh, unopened wax has not been a part of my strategy for that reason and that reason okay. alone, but I do see the, the merits in it because there are some classes that have so many good players that can really boost the value of the set. And so you're kind of removing some of the guesswork, like, do I buy Burrow or, you know, one of the other quarterbacks from that? From that year because th there have been some really strong products that have multiple players that are on the kind of rising star or even hall of fame trajectory that you can go back and look at um i have a buddy who's buying 2013 tops chrome hobby boxes because nolan arenado's in that manny machado's in that there's some other good players and you know he's looking at it like these are hard to find they're 10 years old they're still five six hundred dollars and rising somehow and there were even a lot of redemptions for the autos in that product but um, you know, th there is some merit to that when you can have multiple players that are all contributing toward pushing the value north. So, um, but anyway, for me, I'm a singles guy because I cannot keep wax sealed. It's just too much fun to open. What's your thoughts from an investment standpoint and to make money is um, staying away from the, the, the big three sports and going towards, you know, the other sports, the hockey and wrestling and uh, I don't know, MMA and, and the, you know, every tennis and soccer, everyone, there's, there's cards for just about every sport. What, what, what's your thought um, going towards these uh, lesser known sports uh, and perhaps having less competition as a seller? Yeah, well, I think it comes back to what are your passions and interests and where does your sports knowledge lie? Because I, uh, well, I'll give you an example. I, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, um, kind of a nerd in that way. But uh, Magic the Gathering had that crazy set where the, there was that like $2 million bounty on the one ring card. I bought a box of that because I like Lord of the Rings. I know nothing about Magic, but the artwork looked really awesome. I just wanted to open a box just as a, not for a money-making thing, but, you know, unless I pulled the one ring card and I'd take $2 million, I suppose. Uh, that wouldn't hurt, but, you know, it, but I'm opening the packs and I'm enjoying every moment of it because I know the characters and the artwork's awesome. Yep. I don't know anything about what I'm pulling though. So I'm looking <laughs> up all these cards like, okay, this one's worth four bucks. This one's worth nothing. Oh, wow. This one's worth 30. I, I would have had no clue. And so it kind of comes back to, do you know hockey really well? Do you know the players to look for? Buy hockey. Great. Do you know soccer really well? Do you, are you interested in following soccer? If you were to pull a card of a player that you want to hold on to, would you have the interest to actually follow the, their, their season and, and their stats throughout the year and their card market and know when it's time to sell? So that, that's kind of what I'd fall back on. There's there's no, uh, there's no not necessarily a right or wrong answer there. It just comes back to where does your knowledge lie and what do you want to you know put your time toward? What um, software do you use to manage your inventory and manage your business? And uh, how, you know, how, how many hours a week do you put into, uh, you, know, man, you know, to working as a card investor, I'll say? Yeah, that's... Um, Microsoft Excel, we'll keep it simple there. I just have a master spreadsheet that shows here's what I paid, here's what I sold it for. You know, here's, um, I will give uh, one piece of advice that I have found to be really helpful is to, you know, you've got the basics on there um, of what you paid, what you sold it for, all your fees, your shipping costs, all that stuff. If you add a column to the end of it and, and just call it like estimated sale value or estimated current value, that way you can look at what do I think I can realistically get for this card right now? And sometimes that helps you take a little bit more objective look at 
here's what I paid, but, but here's what it's really worth. So getting back to what we talked about, you can be a little bit more realistic about its current value and whether or not it's time to move on. Um, but that's, that's what I use for tracking. Just keep it as simple as possible, but you do want to have those records. Um, you know, if, if you make enough money, it's a good problem to have, to have to pay taxes because it means you did something right throughout the year. Uh, highly recommend working with an accountant. It's going to save you a headache in the end of the day. But um, from a time standpoint, I don't know. I, I just, I love this stuff and it's like ingrained in who I am. So I've got my save eBay searches. I'm constantly, you know, before bed, you know, when I wake up in the morning, break in the day, I've got, you know, I've got a day job, of course. So in between meetings or at lunchtime, got to check my save searches, see if there's anything that I need to, to go after. Um, I don't know. I, over the years, I, I tried to quantify this for the book because there have been two different stretches where I did cards as my full-time income. Um, and then since then, it's been, I would say, multiple hours per day just because I enjoy it in some capacity, following the card market, reading online, you know, the chatter, who are people chasing, what are they saying about different players? It, it helps if you enjoy it. it. That's that's where the fun is. This shouldn't feel like a, you know, like a, a work, like it should feel like fun, a hobby. That's what it is. So, and if you can make a little money along the way, then great, more power to you. What do you use to determine current value in um, when you list your card on eBay or, or any other site, do you uh, do you try to list it below current value, at current value, a little above current value? Because uh, I know you're you're more into buy now than uh, auction, right? Yeah, I, there's a time and place for all of the different listing formats, if you ask me. But um, auction to me is if you need to just you just want to get money out of something and you want it now, auction it off. You're going to get paid. And there's some really good consigners if you don't want to do the work that don't charge that um, those, that high of fees either. Um, for buy it now pricing, it, it, it comes back to how quickly do you want to move the card? If you're the lowest price, you're going to likely sell it faster than if you're the highest price, of course. So use that, um, kind of at your discretion. But if I've got something that's a little bit rare, yeah, I might go a little bit above market and see if I can get someone to stretch a little bit. If it's, you know, one or one or, uh, one of the only ones that's listed, Sometimes you can get people to to go a little bit higher, but for the most part, I don't list stuff unless I feel pretty confident that I'm okay at getting market value for it. Um, otherwise, you know, I go back to my uh, what I said about overexposing stuff, especially if you've got rare cards. You don't want them to just go up and sit because then people get used to them and they're not as excited about you know paying you what you want for them. So, all right, st story time. Uh, can you share a story with us that's not in the book of a player that you were really into early on and, and made made a, a, a good chunk of change off of? Is there, is there a, a player that, that you, you know, someone comes up to bat and, you know, it's, I don't know, Bryce Harper. And you you knew Bryce Harper when he was in high school and he was the, he was the guy for you. Do you, do you have a, a guy like that? Man, there are a lot of them. Um, I'll go with... I collect Nolan Arenado, so I want to say him because he's a guy that I bought into really early and then sold out of. And then I was like, wait a second, this guy's awesome once he was like a year or two into the majors and started rebuying because he was so cheap compared to everyone else. And now I have a big Nolan Arenado collection, but um, I'll go with Jack Peterson. So came up in the Dodgers organization. Yeah. He was like outperforming everybody in the minor leagues. He was doing it all. He was stealing bases. He was hitting like 330 or something. He was hitting for power. So he looked like a legit, like 
you know, 2020 guy in the minors, which you, you can project that to the majors to be, you know, more than that. Cause they, they play a lot more games and his cards were just not selling for anything. So he was the first player. If I remember correctly, he was the first player I ever made a thousand dollars of pure profit on was his Bowman Chrome autographs okay. uh, from, I'm trying to remember what year that would have even been 20, 2009 or 2010. I think he was somewhere around there. 2012, I think is what he is actually now that I think about it, but I had a whole pile of that guy. Um, that was, that was fun getting into someone that <laughs> it took time, but people do come around like it's hard for someone to be that good for that long and not get recognized eventually. Um, and I actually wrote about this uh, on my Instagram this morning coming out of, you know, the home run derby, uh, you know, Julio Rodriguez puts up that massive round one and then gets eliminated in the next round. Doesn't matter. His, the damage has been done for his cards. They're on the rise now because people yeah. saw the, the big round one. It, it, it kind of comes back to the player doesn't necessarily have to win it all. They don't have to be Babe Ruth. They don't even have to be good sometimes. And Jack Peterson, solid baseball player, right? He's not a superstar. Like he's never going to be a Hall of Famer, but he was good enough for long enough in the minors that I made money on him. And I'm positive that the people that I sold to also made money on him, which is what makes this fun. You have a guy like a Eli Jimenez or Joey Adele, who you thought were just going to, you know, Go on, go on the straight scene and be uh, an MVP for their fir first five years in the in the majors, and you really jumped in heavy on them, and they just they just never panned out. Do you have a, have a guy that he thought was going to pan out but just didn't? I really thought that, uh, and he is in the book, and I actually did really well on him. But I thought AJ Reed for the Houston Astros mm -hmm. um, organization was going to be you know, 240, 250 hitter, but I, I was convinced he was going to hit 40 bombs a year and be one of those guys that just sticks around forever. Kind of in that like Adam Dunn mold, almost a big heavy. Mom, they're throwing, they're throwing curveballs. I'll be home for dinner. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, but man, swinging a miss for me. Cause I was, I, so I made a lot of money on him in the minor leagues because he was similar to Jock Peterson, actually, where he was just wildly undervalued for what numbers he was putting up for a long time bought a ton of his cards, sold them all before he debuted. And then when his tops Chrome rookie cards and autos came out, I rebought a ton of that stuff because it was so cheap at the time. Cause he kind of, kind of had an uninspiring debut. Um, that's one strategy that I really like is find a former top prospect that kind of has a slow start to their career and go and find their cards for cheap when they come out with the, the rookie card autos and all that stuff. Doesn't always pan out, but sometimes you can get really good value on those guys. I thought I was getting really good value on Reed, and it turns out that he just didn't figure it out and retired earlier than I expected. So I have a nice permanent collection now of <laughs> AJ <laughs> Reed, yeah. Topps Chrome Autos, and, you know, so it, it's part of the fun. Like, you win some, you lose some. That's but funny. Uh, Guys, we'll speak with Ryan Seaver. It's S-E-V-E-R. He is Cardboard Profit. No S, Cardboard Profit. He's on Instagram at, at Cardboard Profit, at Cardboard Profit. Also on Facebook, he has a website, CardboardProfit.com. He's written a new book. It's called Cardboard Profit, the strategic playbook for making money with sports card. Available on, e on uh, Amazon. That's right. Amazon only. I, I refuse to, uh, I don't think my wife would allow our house to turn into a warehouse for books right now. So just Amazon for now anyway.
All right, guys, pick it up. It's a really great book. It's really good if you're a uh, new new to collecting in the last year or two. It gives you a great um, roadmap on how to make money selling sports cards. Uh, and if you're a seasoned collector, it um, it gives you a lot of refresher. It's you know, there's a lot of common sense to it. I think Ryan, I, you know, I don't think there's any earth shattering wows in there, but it's 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 a lot of reminding you what you should be doing, right? Yeah, it's really just logic based. It's how can yeah. we just, you know, kind of keep a framework up to your point. I like the bumpers of here's what works and, you know, good market, bad market. How can we, you know, hit doubles and singles consistently over time is, is how to look at it. All right. Well, one last, we want one last investment uh, tip for on, on sports cards. Um, you know, say you, you have, you want to make I don't know, five hundred dollars a month. Let's just put a goal, right? We set our, we establish our goal. We have a budget, and, and uh, well, how how do we best uh, attack that? Yeah, I think start with what sport do you want to follow? Pick a player that you feel like is undervalued, or who maybe just you think is primed for a big season. So you know, we're going into football season. It, it, it football cards are really hot right now, so. I actually like to think outside the box and try to like whatever I'm inclined to do. I almost want to do the opposite of it. Like I'm inclined to buy football cards going into football season, but basketball just ended and no one's talking about basketball right now. So I might be more inclined to look at basketball because it's, it's what I would call buying season for the next couple of months before mm -hmm. anyone's really excited about that again. And look at players that you, you know, maybe they got drafted. They won't have cards for a while. So you might have to go with guys that are going into their second or third year who's undervalued, who maybe performed really well, but their cards didn't take off. Um, you know, maybe some of those guys that were big name prospects that didn't have a good rookie season that you can pick up a few of their cards for cheap. Um, I also would recommend grading. You can create your own profit margin if you send in, you know, high enough quality stuff and get the grades that you need. Um, but they're, th that's kind of what I would stick to is what are the cards that I can buy now for basketball offseason? or football off season, if that's your thing, but think about how do you sell them before the season starts? So you can kind of limit your risk and just sell on the excitement of the upcoming season before the player has to step on the field or on the court and actually prove anything. A lot of times that excitement alone is enough to carry values to new heights. Right. And diversify, right? Don't stick to one player or two players because, uh, you know, players that are playing now, um, you know, they get hurt. Mike, Mike Trout gets hurt and his card values go down or Fernando Tatis has problems with steroids and his <laughs> cards go down. But, uh, you know, Mickey Mantle and Sandy Koufax and Willie Mays, their, their cards aren't going anywhere. So diversify, pick some new guys, pick some old guys, pick some, some guys that you, you know, pick different sports and, but stick to your budget, right? That's right. Yeah. And I think that this gets really fun. I mean, in your early days, if you're just getting started, stick with it because it, it takes some time to build up an inventory and there will come a point where you call it the tipping point, if you will, where you have enough stuff of enough different players from enough different sports that there's almost always something that you can sell and turn a profit on. So stick with it. It, it, it takes a little bit of time to get it off the ground, but once you get that first sale under your belt, you're going to know what we're talking about. It's so much fun to make money doing something that you love to do and following sports and using your sports knowledge to make money. So in the hobby is still healthy. Would you agree with that statement? 
I think that there are a lot of people that are worried because we're coming out of such a crazy time in the market and people are seeing all these values dropping from where they were two years ago. But if you look at where they were before the pandemic boom, you look at values in 2019, almost everything of all the major stars and you know the good cards of the good players almost across the board are up from there, some of them significantly. The other thing that gives me a lot of confidence and again, nationals coming up, it's the biggest show of all time for sports cards. Go there, go check it out, you know, walk around, talk to people. Like you'll see the excitement in the room. You'll see kids trying to haggle with, you know, 50 year old men trying to sling a deal. You know, it's, it's a great sight to behold. It's one of my favorite times of the year is getting out there and just seeing all of these people that love the same hobby that I do. And it just gives me confidence that this is going to be around for a long time. The, the hobby's been here, you know, 100 plus years now. It'll be here another 100 plus years. We're in maybe a bear market to some extent, <laughs> but, it's you know, cyclical, we're, we're going to come out of it. It right, always, we'll exactly. It. It's always cyclical. So the number of people that are excited about cards right now, I'm convinced is higher than it's ever been before. And that's what gives me confidence in the long-term future of the market. All right, guys, his name is Ryan Seaver. His book is Cardboard Profit, Cardboard Profit, the, strate the strategic playbook for making money with sports cards. Pick it up. It is on Amazon. It's a great read. And, and I thank you for your time, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. And, and yeah, if anyone out there wants to follow us on Instagram, get involved in the conversation. I'm checking the inbox. I'm checking the comments every day. I try to respond to everything on there. So if you have a question, I'm a resource that, at least for now, I'm free. So, uh, you know, feel free to hit me up anytime if I can do anything to help you all out. Yep, guys, the website is CardboardProfit.com. Instagram is at CardboardProfit. Facebook is CardboardProfit as well. So check it out. And I highly recommend the book. And uh, we're going to actually be giving away a copy of the book uh, this week. So if you want to register to win a copy of the book, just send me your name and your mailing address to ttmcast at yahoo.com and we'll pick a winner uh, next week. So we're going to give away a copy of Ryan's book. And, and Ryan, I thank you for your time. Appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks again for having me. All right. You're welcome. Buying and selling sports cards has never been easier thanks to the free Collect app. With a million collectors on the app, you can find just about anything. Build your PC, sell off your cards for top dollar, trade up to get your Grail card. Are you new to the app? Don't worry about it. There's an option to check out with credit card, generate shipping and tracking, and use promo credits towards deals. Download Collects, that's Collects, C-O-L-L-X, for free on the App Store or Google Play. Well, Drew, uh, Ryan's book, and I said in the interview, um, it was kind of like, uh, you know, when, you, when you're a kid and you go bowling and they put the, the, the bumpers up so the ball doesn't go down the gutter? Oh, yeah. That's yep. what, Ryan, what Ryan's book was. It was kind of a good guide for, okay, I want to, how do I make money selling cards? Oh, yeah, you got to do this and you got to do this and sign up for eBay and get, get, a, get your own your account and do this and this. And it was a really good um, plan of attack on how to sell cards and, and the best way to to uh, make money off it and there was nothing that was earth shattering on it you know what i mean like you and mm -hmm. i as, as veteran co collectors there wasn't like oh why didn't we know about that you know what i mean it was all the right. stuff that you and i would know about but it was still nice to give you a roadmap and say if you okay if you want to sell if you want to make money selling cards follow this guideline guideline and, and uh it'll work for you and also um for young collectors i think it's a really good 
introduction to, oh, you can make money selling cards. And you really can make money for selling cards. It's not as easy as it was, uh, you know, two years ago back in the pandemic time. But if, you know, uh, if you really want to make money selling cards, I think you, there's still uh, an opportunity. Would you agree? Absolutely, there is. And you know what? Even for a veteran collector, it's worth a refresher going through and, you know, just kind of, you know, getting yourself reacclimated with stuff and just making sure that you're doing all these things. Because you never know, you might come across them. You're like, oh, yeah, I have an eBay account. You know, I can do that. There might be some small specific thing about eBay that you might have forgotten. You might not realize there's yep. an option there. So, yeah, it's worth a it's always worth, you know, going through and kind of, you know, reevaluating what you're doing. And I think this will be a great, uh, great starting place for doing that. Yeah, and we're giving away a copy of his book. So if you want to win a copy of Ryan Seaver's book, it's called Cardboard Profit. Just send me your name and your mailing address. Very important, guys. I can't send you the book if I don't have your mailing address. And send it to ttmcast at yahoo.com. And just put book or, or Seaver in your in the uh, subject line, and we'll give that away next week. All right, that's Collector's Corner for, for this week. Uh, next, we're going to talk with uh, Les Wolf and more from Les. And now it's time for more from Les with hobby legend Les Wolf. The Certified Collectibles Group is playing to win. CGC Trading Cards and CSG are combining into CGC Cards, solidifying its position as one of the world's largest and most prominent card grading services. With the merger, collectors get a number of upgrades including the option to submit without a paid membership, a Gem Mint 10 grading scale, a sleek new label, a simplified submission process, and prices you are going to love. Grade all your cards with CGC Cards and visit cgccards.com today. Drew, you know I love talking to Les. Les is the best. We did some appraisals. We had, we had three things sent in from our listeners, so we did an appraisal first. Then we talked a little about national. Les is getting ready for the national. He will be out in Chicago, and we're going to get together. Les and Clemente and I are going to have dinner. We'll miss you, my friend. But yep, we're yep. going to have dinner on, uh, I think, Thursday. Thursday, Friday night, maybe. I think we'll do Friday night. Thursday nice. or Friday night. I don't remember. One of those. And then um, we also talked about this crossover grid that his son is involved in. Which he, they have basketball, football, and hockey. So uh, you can go check out uh, the crossover grid. So please enjoy my interview with Les Wolf. All right, time, all right, guys, it's time for a little appraisal. But it's not really appraisal. It's an opinion from our friend Les Wolf. We got some items sent in from listeners. And then we're going to talk a little national. Hey, Les. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Very good. Hey, we got three kind of interesting things to talk about today. Uh, first, we got a eight by ten photo, um, and it's signed by Eddie Matthews and Hank Aaron. It has a PSA uh, is PSA certified. It's a black and white photo. The the signatures are in blue sharpie. They look pretty clean. Down the bottom of both of their the guys' pants, across both guys' pants, looking like they're getting some type of a, a awards. I don't know in the fifties, probably less. You think? Probably. So a nice a nice picture uh, to somebody. I don't know. So maybe the nationally president presenting um, Matthews and Aaron with awards. So in a, in a signed by both the guys. Uh, what do you think? A couple hundred dollars. You know, is good. Good at. You know, a good area. What I think it's worth is, um, but you got to find someone that wants that. You know, that's always the issue with when it comes to um, this kind of stuff. You got to find someone that wants wants to buy that. Well, both Aaron and Matthew signed a lot, right? 
Yeah, they're both 500 home run hitters, so that ma- that makes the that makes them a little more popular. So and it's, um, the the photos not signed, so maybe if it was signed and it was in some type of, I mean, and it was framed in some type of presentation, it might be worth a little more. If it, if it was signed by both of them, yes, a few hundred dollars. What well, is signed by both of them? No, I'm saying it's worth a few hundred dollars. But if it was signed, if Matthew signed it to Hank Aaron, my good friend, and uh, Matt, if, and if Aaron wrote to uh, Eddie Matthews, my good friend, it would have increased the value tremendously. Got it. And if there was, even if there was a, a, something that said Hall, Hall of Fame or some type of inscription, 57 MVP or anything like that, right? Right. Okay. Well, that, that, I mean, it's a nice photo. So that that one came from Chris Bellich. So thanks, Chris. We have um, a Joe Wood, Smokey Joe Wood, Ted Williams baseball. It is signed by, it's a Lee McPhail baseball. So it's a, an official AL baseball. It's kind of, the ball's kind of yellowed, right? It's It's been, it, it, it looks like it's aged some. Ted Williams' signature is across the sweet spot. Joe Wood is on one of the other panels. Um, it would have had to been Joe Wood. We, we, we checked, passed away in 1985. So it had to be uh, prior to that when it was signed. Um, neither, they did not play together, but they were both Red Sox. Um, the Ted Williams' signature looks legit, right? Would you say it's yes, legit? Yes, it does. They both look legit. Okay. Uh, so what's your thought on the ball? Because there's no real um, connection between Williams and uh, Wood, except that the fact they played for the Red Sox, it's not like they won a title together. They did anything together. I would say three, four hundred dollars in that area. I, I think if it was Joe Wood alone or Ted Williams alone, it'd be, it'd be a better item to have than than what it is. Yeah, we've talked about that in terms of people seem to want single sign baseballs as opposed to uh, multiple signed or team signed balls, right? Yes, that's definitely true. Most people do not want, you know, multiple guys on it. And when you think about it, when you're displaying a baseball, you can only really display one signature on it. And why did the ball yellow less? Do you think it was let out in the sun or? Um, You know what? There's actually a lot of factors involved in it that we don't, we don't know exactly what caused it to yellow, but we do know that it is yellow. So sometimes it could be the person's oil in their fingers. It could be the location of where the ball was kept by the sunlight. We really, really don't know exactly what caused that. Yeah, I mean, and it's really yellow. The whole thing is yellow all the way across the ball. Well, that that's, you know, more and more collectors are becoming more and more fussy with baseballs. They want them to be gem white and want the autograph to be brand new like it was signed yesterday. And... Because of that, it, it's affected the values of, of a lot of a lot of stuff, especially uh, baseballs. So, twelve hundred dollars is is the right number on that. You know, if they if they both sign the sweet spot, it would be a little different. And if they had some kind of um, relationship together, uh, being you know being whatever, whatever. Right. If it was like Ted Williams and Bobby Doerr or Joe Wood and Babe Ruth, something like that. Yes. Got you. All right. That was from Mike Danzi. Mike, thank you for sending that in. Lastly, this is the third item we got. We got a um, a Patrick Mahomes Arrowhead seat back, right? Is that? Uh-huh. So it's signed by Patrick Mahomes with his number um, 15, right? Is that his number? 
Yes, that's his number. Correct. Okay. And the seat number, it is seat number 15. So it's just the seat back. It's orange. It has been, uh, it's got a GSA certification to it. And uh, Jason McConville has sent it in. What do you think that's worth, Les? Um, I did a little, little research. The seat backs only sell for like 50 bucks when recently it was sold for 50 bucks. Uh, Mahomes autograph would probably cost you a hundred something dollars. So I would say two, three hundred dollars. I do see people asking crazy numbers for signed seat backs by Mahomes. Uh, unless we could prove that Patrick Mahomes actually sat in that seat, <laughs> you know, if you have a picture of him where you know sitting in that seat and uh, with his uniform on and his sweat and getting it all over the seat, uh, we it's not going to increase that much. I would say guesstimate just because what it is a couple three or four hundred dollars at most. And I know, like, like you can buy um, Red Sox seatbacks now in their store for a hundred bucks, not autographed. And you, and if you get that autograph by Carly Stremski, you know that's that makes it more valuable. If you had Ted Williams on it and Stremski and all the the Red Sox Hall of Famers, that's going to increase the value of it. Right. So something like this, you might on it. Would you want to get other Kansas City Chiefs to sign it? You would you like to get well, you want to get Travis Kelsey and some of the other Kansas City Chiefs to sign it, or would you just leave it with just the Mahomes signature? That's a good question. It all depends on the collector. I, I've always been from the mindset, you know, the more autographs on a baseball, the better off. Uh when my Hall of Fame balls when I was collecting them in the 70s, I still have a few left. I'd get as many Hall of Fame as I could fit on the ball. Yet, had I have gotten uh, 25 single sign balls, it would have been worth a lot more than 25 Hall of Famers on one ball. So it depends. You know, if it's a championship team, yes, it's worth more as a championship team. If it's um, if it's just a bunch of like guys together on a ball, I don't think it's worth that much. Okay, so if you were him, would you get? Would you try to get the whole championship Kansas City Chiefs team, or would you just leave Mahomes? Just Mahomes. Well, there's two schools of thought on that. If you get, if you got, if you're bothering to get the whole team to sign it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come at a cost, and the question will be whether or not you'd be able to make your money back on that cost. So I would have to say, probably, just leave it the way it is. Leave it the way it is. All right, all right. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for sending stuff in. We really appreciate it. We'll do another um, opinion slash appraisal next month with Les. But Les, I know you're getting ready for the national. What are you bringing to uh, Chicago with you? I'm bringing a lot of great stuff. Um, hopefully, uh, some of the viewers out there will be able to take the stuff home because I don't, you know, I don't want to carry them anymore. I got so much stuff. Um, probably one of the best basketball items I've had in years is going to be the Kobe Bryant signed basketball five five time champ, and my favorite Pete Maravich uh, photo, which is, in my opinion, is the nicest eight by ten I've ever seen. Plus, I got a nice Babe Ruth photo dated from '48. Uh, that I'm surprised no one's grabbed up for me yet. Um, uh, you bringing your satchel, satchel page? I've got a satchel page, eight by ten, the mag magazine picture. You bringing uh, your, your Kofax uh, jersey? I have my Kofax jersey. That that is so limited, and it's such an unusual thing that I I almost don't even want to sell it. Okay. What else? What else have you picked up lately? That you some of the new stuff that you're bringing with you? A Ted Williams signed jersey I'm gonna have. Oh, nice. Uh, I'm a Derek Jeter, a Stephen Holland, uh, G Clay signed by uh, Derek. 
You're bringing uh, your Jeter. Did you you bring in your Jeter ba uh, base or did you sell that? Uh, the base is sold. Okay. The ba the base has been sold. Someone stole second base. How about, I know you got a bunch of baseballs. So who who do you have for baseballs? Um, I've got so many. <laughs> I've got some beautiful mantle balls, PSA nines, PSA tens. Volpe, I know you have Volpe, balls. right? Pardon me. You got Volpe, Anthony Volpe. Yeah, I just got I just got some Volpe balls in full signature. If anybody's collecting at the ballpark, he's like AV. I have we can read his whole name, Anthony Volpe. You know what? He's starting his got like 13 homers. He's just got to get his average up. And he did that all by go, having dinner with with the catcher, Austin Wells, the Yankees. And they had a chicken parm dinner that he paid. And you know what? That's changed his career now. He <laughs> and now he's getting hits. How about Judge? You got any Judge balls bringing? No, Judge balls have become very, very expensive. Oh, I'm sure. And plus, he's hurt. I mean, I, I'll have a judge signed card that I'll be selling. You get it? You get any? Going to get any autographs at the show? Um, I don't know. I might. I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet. Anyone specifically you're looking for? I need to finish off of balls or anything like that. I I might. I might bring my picture of uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar and I from the Basketball Hall of Fame and try to get him to sign it. Yep, he's he's gonna be there. He he hasn't been too many nationals, I don't think, has he? No, but it's interesting. He's charging extra to write his first name. Is he really sixty dollars extra to sign Kareem? I wonder why. Because he's a pain in the ass, to be honest with you. <laughs> when he played, when he was Lou Alcindor, he was perhaps the hardest basketball autograph to get in the, in in the world back then. Uh, really. But I, I, he must. He sees the dollar signs, right? And he's signing like everyone else. That's true. Hey, is there anyone else at the show that you, I, that you I, think you I, might? And I, keep on, and I keep on hearing him do those a affibulation uh, commercials. No, I know. A <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe get, uh, and I'll have some McGriff signed Hall of Fame placards, and I'll have some uh, Scott Rowland signed placards. Uh, fresh off the uh, the print from the from the baseball hall of fame, um, I'm just gonna have so much stuff. Uh, Badge what, jerseys. What's your booth number? Do you know your booth number yet? Seven oh one and seven oh three. Seven oh one seven oh three. Last will be in Chicago at the national. Make sure you stop by. Hey, we got We have to give one plug to your son. He's uh, go to crossovergrid.com. Why don't you tell everyone about crossovergrid.com? Well, for you sports fans out there, crossover grid is where you have to try to figure out guys that played for two different teams, and it's like a it's like a like a crossword puzzle. So you cross it over, like a guy that played for the for the Knicks and the Nets, you know, so a guy like Jason Kidd. You'd have to guess his name, and it's like nine boxes, and you have to fill in the boxes. How have you been it's doing? Have you, finish, have you finished end off? The only ones that I finished off with were the baseball ones that my son doesn't do. Some of them, they're pretty hard. I mean, you got to really, you really got to rack your brain to remember some of this stuff. I know. But it's a lot of fun. The 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 hockey one, uh, I, I've tried to, I got a couple of those, right? The football one, I got a couple. But every now and then, my son keeps on asking me, did you ever hear this guy? Did you ever hear this guy? I said, yeah, yeah, I heard of this guy. He played a couple of games for this team. But it, it's kind of fun hearing him. He's like so excited with it.
Well, guys, guys, check it out. Crossovergrid.com. It's fun. They're doing uh, football, basketball, and hockey. And then this and, is- you know, if anybody wants to go out there and sponsor it, he is available. Just just email him at crossovergrid. All right, bud. All right. I think that is it. I think we will see you in Chicago and uh, we're, we're 14 days away now. So when are you heading out? I'm heading out there Tuesday morning of the of the of the show. Going to get there early. When are you coming? Uh, we will be there on Wednesday. We'll there maybe, we, maybe we could shoot a little uh, show from my booth. Yeah, we'll, we'll be there. Uh, I'll be there Wednesday for the VIP, the VIP event, and then we'll be there. The whole show, Drew. Drew is not coming into the uh, the show, so we will uh, we'll be we'll be flying solo for this one. But really looking forward to it, and it should be it should uh, be a fun show. Who's on the VIP, who's coming for the VIP? Uh, it is B.J. Armstrong, Bob Lilly, and Marcel Dion. Huh. Five hundred goal scorer. Yeah, and I the, uh, they're all those three guys are all good TTMers, but I do need uh, a Marcel Dion, so I'm gonna have him sign a couple cards. Okay, sounds like fun. All right, buddy, we will see you in Chicago. Thank you for appraising again this week. Again, guys, check out crossovergrid.com and make sure you check out less if you go to the National at booth 700, no, 701 and 703, right? Yes. Seven, all right, bud, we will see you in Chicago. Be good. Take care. All right, thanks. Well, Drew, Les is the best. He is the yep. best. We love to have him on the program. I, I, I love talking to him. Uh, make sure you check out Sports Collectors Digest this, uh, this month. It's coming out, I think, this week, actually. I wrote an article on Les, a feature article on Les. It's in Sports Collectors Digest this week. It's on in their uh, national preview edition show show edition so it's going to be at the show if you pick it up make sure you check it out if you see me you want me to autograph it i can autograph it i i, I do sign autographs sometimes <laughs> so i want to thank less and more from less and it will be doing a appraisals probably in august that'll be our next appraisal so if you have something you want less to appraise send in the picture as long as, as long in a description and we will do an appraisal so that wraps up more from less next up is Making the Grade. Making the Grade is sponsored by Certified Sports Guarantee. Go to csgcards.com for sports card grading for the win. The Certified Collectibles Group is playing to win. CGC Trading Cards and CSG are combining into CGC Cards, solidifying its position as one of the world's largest and most prominent card grading services. With the merger, collectors get a number of upgrades including the option to submit without a paid membership, a Gem Mint 10 grading scale, a sleek new label, a simplified submission process, and prices you are going to love. Grade all your cards with CGC Cards and visit cgccards.com today. Making the grade is a summary of what's been going on in the grading community. And Drew, we have some grading numbers to report. Yes, we do. The first week of July is in. That's a holiday week there, so numbers down a little bit thanks to 4th of July, but from July 3rd through the 9th, PSA graded 178,800 cards. That's a 23% drop, kind of to be expected there with a day off in there. SGC actually went up from the previous week. They had a 4% increase, 23,800 cards going through their offices. Beckett down 39%, 9,700 cards graded by them. And CGC down 52%, 6,100 cards. They're still doing all that merger stuff. They still have some, you know, tech issues going on there. So there may be a few more than that that have gone through them. But yeah, and if you go to the national, CGC is going to be there. They're going to have all sorts of fun stuff going on. They're going to have games like skee ball and 
Miss Pac-Man, all sorts of other cool stuff. We can earn uh, tokens for prizes. I'm sure they have hats and sweatshirts and all sorts of cool stuff and discounts on grading. And speaking of grading, if you have cards you want to get graded, you can drop them off at the uh, CGC booth and they'll grade them for starting 20 at 20 bucks which is a pretty good deal so if you go into the nationals make sure you stop by the cgc booth and um you know win some prizes have some fun and you can talk to the graders and you can drop off cards to grade so all pretty good move don't you think absolutely i remember last year they had that little basketball shooter game set up there which is kind of cool there and yeah they had a real great booth there last year and i'm sure it'll be just as good this year if not better yeah, I think this year's booth's going to put last year's to shame, honestly. Well, Drew, what do we do usually do next, right? What do we do next? Ah, the big three. The big three. Well, this week we bring in Ryan Sudzinski from gemrate.com, and he's going to talk a little about some of the grading numbers that we've seen over the last uh, couple months, as well as giving us this week's big three. So here's Ryan with the big three. This week's big three is brought to you by gemrate.com. Whose cards are hot and whose cards are cold this week? Let's find out from our friends at gemrate.com. All right, guys, now it's time for the big three. That's a that's our professional echo. <laughs> <laughs> we have Ryan Stuxinski from gemrate.com and Ryan supplies us these exclusive statistics each week the only place you're going to hear the big three is right here on ttm cast we appreciate ryan ryan does a, a great job with all the grading numbers and i thought we'd talk a little grading first and then we'll go right into the big three okay ryan yeah that sounds great thanks again for having me on i always appreciate it oh i i this is one of my favorite segments when you come on i i just you shed light on on, on numbers which is, is really uh, intriguing to me my question to you for grading in the past, like, I don't know, maybe month, month and a half, the numbers have been kind of all over the place, right? We're, we're up one week, we're down for two or three weeks, we're back up one week, we're down for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, C, CGC and CSG have merged, and I'm not quite sure to make what to make of their numbers because the last couple of weeks they've been really down uh, a lot. Uh, you know, what's your take on kind of the grading market as a whole right now? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's one that I think is still uh, we're feeling out, just in the sense that it's it's been very promotional, and we're sort of you know that's been sort of the the biggest factor in sort of who's driving demand where. Uh, you know, you've seen yeah, really since the promotion. beginning of the year, don't you think when 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 CG CSG uh, ran their their sale for most of the the fall, right, October, November into December, it's really been very cyclical since then. Yeah, and it's um it's pretty much stayed that way, and you can even tell with you know PSA for example when they they've been driving a lot of demand with the TCG specials they've been running, and they they actually reduced the the, the price to a lower floor, and once that happened, a little bit of the urgency went away, and the TCG numbers have sort of cooled off a little bit, and they've been carrying a lot of the grading activity uh, the last you know really since the beginning of the year, and so you know you've seen that with PSAs of the world, and you're seeing it at all ends of the spectrum here, and so. That definitely plays into it. You know, you definitely have the holidays that are sort of driving the week weekly demand is sort of the ups and downs of it. But if you yep. sort of zoom out, you know, it was June was pretty much a flat month for us year over year. And, um, you know, I, I can't remember if that's exactly right now off the top of my head, but it was it's not there's not been a lot of change, I guess, is the the the, uh, the big picture story there. 
And, you know, we are sort of gearing up, though, for the national. And we'll see if PSA has a pretty aggressive special in the, or had a pretty aggressive special in the market, which they just closed at the end of last month, which will start to flow through the numbers now because you have to remember there's a bit of a delay. You know, we, we don't, we're responding to what hits the pop report, not necessarily the submission itself. And so when PSA runs a special, it takes a few weeks for it to process and actually hit the pop report. So their 90s and 90s plus special was pretty aggressive. And I think that'll start to choose some of the numbers a bit, but it sort of depends on the TCG side of the market too, because that's been establishing a pretty good floor for grading. And then, yeah, to your point, like we have, you have a lot of noise in the space, which is productive noise in some ways, which is that, you know, you have the CGCs of the world zooming out and thinking about where do they need to be big picture to have an impact on the hobby. And, you know, they announced the merger, the, the trading cards and the sports cards. And so I think that positions them well in the long run, but that sort of creates a bit of noise in the near term. You've got Beckett that's been in the news over the last, you know, few months about things that they've been doing on their end to try to sort of like right the ship. And so, you know, you have noise. And I think now once we hit the national, we'll sort of get a little bit more clarity on just what does it look like for the back half of the year as it relates to pricing, promotions, how are these brands sort of positioning themselves? Um, and then lastly, you have SGC who's done a lot of promotional activity and that's helped them a lot. But, you know, they have to make sure that they sustain that when they're not running an aggressive promotion on things like Tops and Bowman too. So yeah, I don't, a lot of, I just a lot of moving parts. I just got an email from uh, Susan at CGC, and they're going to have a um, twenty dollar uh, per card grading at the national. So this, you know, they're still uh, combating with promotions, right? They're they're all they're all kind of you go okay. It's time now to, not time for us to run a promotion, and I mean it's great for the collector. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it depends too. That you know, I haven't seen that promotion yet, but if it's something that's actually for within, you know, that might be drop off. If it's actually sort of something that's graded on site, that's you know a really attractive price. I don't know if that's for drop off or not. Probably drop off, just given sort of how low that is. But that was actually sort of you know at the show turnaround. That would be really aggressive because the other you know competitors are more at the you know hundred dollar plus range for something that you're going to drop off at the beginning of the show and get back during the show. So. That would be really interesting. I mean, the, what I do like is that this competitive market has sort of forced all the companies to sort of just think about how do they stand out? You know, how do they differentiate? And so, you know, there are ways to do that with just rethinking how promotional you are or in what ways you are promotional. And I just dropped it into your inbox. So now you've got it. Oh, cool. I'll check it out. I literally, I literally just got it uh, late this afternoon. So they've, they've got it. That we're hot off the presses, guys. If you're, <laughs> we give you hot off the presses news here at TTM Cast. Um, yeah, you know what twenty dollars on site. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's aggressive. I mean, that's a good promotion. I mean, that's kind of what you have to do. And I think that's that's a smart move in the sense that you want to have people with fresh slabs that you know either they can showcase or try to move. You know, but that's a that's a good promotion for a brand that you know they're still sort of trying to get you know build momentum, especially with some of the changes they've made. So I like something like that. I mean, it's obviously probably like a loss leader in the near term. But it's one of those things that you kind of a step you have to take to sort of establish yourself. And no better place to do that than the national. How does um, the SGC uh, promotion having uh, grading new cards, the Series 1 and Series 2 from Tops, has that affected the market at all? Yeah, it definitely moves the needle for them specifically. You know, it doesn't have a, a you know, massive change to sort of the, the, the macro numbers. But, I mean, it definitely, you know, you see it on the baseball side. You know, SGC has been thriving sort of when you think about baseball in general. And then specifically this ultra-modern Tops and Bowman that they've been grading. They also... Uh, or testing a promotion on the football side of things. And you've seen football has seen some momentum uh, pick up on that side as well, which has been positive. So they're the one that's been the most quiet to date as it relates to their plans for the national. So I'll be very curious to see if they do anything to sort of 
you know, spice it up and sort of just, you know, help people think a little bit differently about their brand or extend it beyond some of these more recent promotions that they've been running. So uh, I'm very curious on there, but they've been, they've definitely been the quietest as it relates to their national plans. Yeah. I, I think the, the, the whole, the market as, as a whole, I'm saying the grading market as a whole has been really interesting uh, really since PSA had their downturn, you know, their problems about getting uh, cards out and shutting down really for the last what two, two years. It's just been, um, influx and, and people they're um, they're being aggressive all the companies are being aggressive and, and they're they're uh, trying to get their hold in the marketplace and uh i i think it's fun to be watching and it must be it must be fun for you because it's ever-changing each week yeah you know it is super interesting to watch and everybody's the significant majority of the promotions and the activity has been around grade to flip which was you know what was really sort of in vogue a few years ago when yep things hit its peak and, you know, things have obviously slowed down. And so I think, you know, the brands are now and the, the grading companies are in a position where they have to think not only about that grade to flip occasion, but just how do we make grading more attractive to collectors, you know, in total. And so that's the thing I'm most excited about over the next year is just to see like windowing into, you know, where else are these, you know, these companies thinking about extending and how do they make grading as a whole valuable to you as a collector? First, just the idea of flipping it or moving it quickly and sort of getting the best price on the, you know, on the market. And so it's, uh, it's been interesting to watch. And I'm mostly curious to see if as pricing sort of levels off, you know, we hit these floors that you're not going to be able to go much lower than, obviously. And so um, that's going to be the thing I'm most interested in seeing. But we'll see. I mean, it's not totally clear sort of like what those levers are that are going to be pulled, you know, set registry, things like that are things that have been pulled in the past or sort of people yep. have, you know, touted. Um, I've, you've seen things like PSA has been pushing their app and new features with that. SGC has sort of been quietly talking about their app. Uh, you see things like CSG, CGC has been doing partnerships. So you kind of have different, you know, stakes that the companies are putting in the ground. So I'm, I'm really curious to see like ways that these companies can advance collecting as a whole through grading as one of those key points of contact. Yeah. And I think with fanatics trying to grow the hobby, uh, tenfold in the next couple of years, uh, I would think that the grading companies are going to kind of ride those coattails, right? Because like, all these new people coming into the grading, get, coming into the hobby, well, in turn, they're going to have to get their cards graded eventually. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, it could be interesting to see, you know, people, I've heard great ideas from people about, you know, fanatics working more closely with the grading companies and thinking about including, you know, grading promotions in their packs or including, you know, they've done things, you know, these are, you know, a lot of ways you know, we're revisiting the past things that have been done in the early 2000s where, you know, there's graded cards in packs and things like that or included in boxes, I should say. Yeah. Um, you know, so we'll see if some of those ideas that maybe in a different time work a little bit better, you know, now that there's grading is much more widely and broadly accepted. But um, I'll be, yeah, Fanatics is obviously a, a big part of this equation and sort of who they partner with and in what capacity is going to be really interesting to watch too. Yeah, I agree. We'll talk with Ryan Stuxinski, excuse me, Ryan, I apologize, from gemrate.com. And guys, it is time for the big three, my the favorite. Big three, the big the three. Show, the big three. <laughs> I'll never do it justice. <laughs> we really need Drew because Drew, Drew does the echo. He nails really well. it. I know. I can't I can't live up to it, so I don't, I don't really want to try. Um, <laughs> All right, yeah, well, Ryan, good. why don't you explain to people what the big three is because they might be new to the show. And then we'll let's give get the, the big three risers and the big three fallers or droppers for, for the week. Yeah. So real quick on the methodology. So I look at the the highest growth in 
for us, uh, for players across all grading companies uh, week over week. But I look at a trailing two week, um, I look at the trailing two weeks of data just to make sure, because what happens is you'll have a player who's up and then they'll drop the subsequent week. And so that sort of just, just leads to this whiplash effect. And so to sort of level things out, I look at a rolling two weeks instead. And what I do from there is you have to have some established floor of graded of cards graded in a given week. So let's say you have to have a few hundred cards that have been seen. So we're not looking at sort of anomalies or sort of, right. If you go from, if you go from zero to 20, that doesn't, doesn't affect it. Exactly. So we, we have a threshold that sort of is a qualifier for this. And then we look at that and we say, okay, who's sort of seen momentum this past week, but it's actually been more sustained over the couple of weeks. And so that's sort of the, the gist of it. And so within that, you know, it's always very interesting, you know, whenever I send an email and the update for the week, it's always funny because, you know, sometimes it's kind of clear what might be happening and other times it's not at all clear. And, and I've mentioned this before in some of my write-ups, but, you know, you can have a single collector that can move the number for some of these players. Sure. You know, we've, we've seen that in the past and it's, it's really interesting and it's not, you know, the data is the data and sometimes that can move the needle, uh, especially if it's one of those players that's right on the cusp of sort of that threshold that I was mentioning before. And so, it's always interesting to see, but the, the actual, the big three this week I can get into, but the top risers this week is probably not a surprise at the top. L.A. De La Cruz is just, you know, all, all sort of the rage right now in the hobby. And he's not only the top graded player this past week, but he also had the top graded card. His, his Bowman prospect card was the most graded. It's, in, it's just seen a significant push over the last few weeks and really since his call up. And he's just continued to sort of, yep, there you go. See, I see it there. That's the, I mean, that's a beaut, ready to that's be graded. Mosaic. It's mosaic. Oh yeah, yeah, that looks great. Uh, I was holding up Alan Daly sure. Cruz mosaic. <laughs> I, I have I have zero, and you know it's very disappointing. But the uh, the prospecting game is tough, and that's definitely one. I mean, it you did ebbs and flows as much as no, anything. You know what? I have I have like three of them. I'm not a, I'm not mosaic. I have uh, three first moment. If you want one, I can I bring it to you and give it to you at the national. Oh, that's that's very nice of you. I appreciate it. And I will absolutely take it. Uh, so thank okay. you. <laughs> I'm putting it in my to go to the national pile. It is yours, my friend. Much appreciated. It'll be the first in my collection, so thank you. Um, and then in addition, you have Josh Young, and then you have uh, Kate Cunningham. So those three, but Ellie was far and away the most, uh, or saw the most significant increases. And then Do you think the, Cunningham was on because he, you know, he was hurt at the end of the year, and uh, we're coming into basketball season, and we have summer league, and people are starting to think basketball, and it's, there, there's a, a potential for him to uh, turn it around this year. That's probably true. I mean, I didn't look at the specific cards behind him that were sort of driving the increase, but yeah, that's, I think that's fair to assume. I think people forget about, forgot about him when he got injured, you know, a lot of the stuff came out and you no, know, he wasn't playing. And so now that there's, you know, we are back in, I mean, you know, we're, we're looking at data that's reflective of cards that were, you know, submitted six, seven, eight weeks ago in, in yep. most instances. And so, you know, the reality is this is once the season ended, people started gearing up for the off season. And I think Kate is somebody that people are still pretty excited about, even though he's had some injury concerns. And, you know, the Pistons are obviously like an up and coming team. So we'll see. Not totally clear. I mean, it's uh, but Kate's definitely one to watch. I mean, people people, I think, are rooting to see Kate do well because that what, can't what card, what card, what card, Sorry to interrupt. What card was the, the, the big card of the week? Uh, it was the Ellie De La Cruz Bowman Chrome prospect that you okay. showed me. So not, not the mega, but the uh, just the, the the base Chrome. Yep. And then right. on the on the other side of the equation, uh, the biggest dips were O'Neill Cruz. So um, you know another another guy that's sort of people. Yeah, the lust is kind of fall, falling off a little on him, right? Yeah, he had that tough injury, and you know he's just out of the cycle now, so he's falling off the radar. And then the others are, you know, you got your Hall of Famers, you got the Ricky Henderson and Derek Jeter, which you know these are the ones where I'm always like, huh. 
what happened there, right? Because, you know, and it, it could, it's harder to move because they have such established bases and like they're definitely not as um, susceptible to the, the swings that you see with prospects or some of the up and comers across the different sports. But, you know, it's always interesting when you see, you know, like a Ricky Henderson who always does really well when we do our monthly reports, yeah. he's always at the top of the list. Like that's just an iconic card that is always graded across all the companies. And so, you know, I'm always interested to see when like a Ricky Henderson drops. Derek Jeter is a little harder to know exactly what's happening there. But those were uh, those were the bottom through this month or this week. Do you think um, basketball and football are still attractive uh, from an investment standpoint and from a grading standpoint? You know, they they had a real they were they had a real bump during the, the pandemic and we've kind of leveled off. And do you think more people are going back to baseball cards or it's just kind of it, it's kind of a, uh, still a pretty good mix between the top three? Good question. So, I mean, the biggest number that sort of speaks to what had happened and where we're at now is basketball is off like 60, 65 percent from its peak as it relates to grading activity. So it was sort of the, you know, the workhorse behind the uptick. And then it's really taken a, a step back. You know, that's uh, it's it's now like a clear number three baseball and football have surpassed it and have consistently sort of outperformed it the last couple months at a minimum. Um Do you think that's I, because of the uh, of the incoming uh pending doom for prism and that they're going to be losing all, all these licensing fees and people are just kind of waiting, waiting until fanatics is starting releasing basketball cards and football cards again. And then that will, that, you know, that will bounce back. I think it's, I, that probably plays into it a little bit. I think it speaks more to the rookie classes. That's so, so, so when like a Cade Cunningham shows up, you know, there really hasn't been that much excitement behind the 21 and 22 basketball classes, for example. So obviously the Wembenyama is going to generate a lot of interest. And so yeah. I do think like basketball will see a resurgence as people, you already start to see that with these, you know, these off-brand sort of SI for kids and stuff like that. Um, Wembenyamas and some other cards of his that are now starting to surface from European sets, I believe. And so it's, um, I think we'll see momentum there, but it's definitely taken a hit partially due to partially due to the rookie classes. Whereas, you know, like uh, I, I, we had this in our monthly report uh, that came out at the beginning you know, beginning of July, but, you know, Shohei was the most graded athlete for the first time. We, we, we've seen Jordan. I was 15 or 16 straight months where it was Michael Jordan, was, you know, almost a given. I almost just don't have to look at the list. I can plug him in as number sure. one and Sho Shohei passed him. And so that was definitely like a big milestone just from like a, you know, okay, we have sort of a, a standout player in baseball that is clearly sort of the hobbies enthralled with and, and, you know, the sport is enthralled with. And so that's been really interesting to see. And then football, always has a lot of excitement, especially coming into the national and, you know, the off season, you know, people are throwing all those quarterbacks into the mix, just hoping that somebody sticks. And so you see a lot of grading activity there. The one thing I'll say from football, from an anecdotal standpoint is we're definitely seeing like more momentum on the receiver side. I don't know, sort of the magnitude of that in the sense of, you know, if that's sort of going to, um, you know, withstand right. the Jefferson chase and all these other guys. Right. Yeah. And that's been, that's been interesting to see that there's just been, you know, they kind of, will be on my list every week and, you know, they'll be up and down sometimes, but they're definitely showing up more often than they were in the past. And so I'm wondering if there's just a slight shift towards receivers having a little bit more of a staying power in the hobby too. We'll see. I mean, that would be interesting. It's been tough for that to sort of um, sustain, but we'll see. Do you have anything special planned for the national for, for gem rate? Not nothing in particular. Come up to me. If you see me, I'll have some swag, a very limited bit of swag. So we'll have some shirts and some hats, but we're just, I love walking the floor, talking to people, understanding sort of like, where, how they use Jeremy data, but in general, I just love walking the floor. I, you know, I'm there the whole show. I'm there Tuesday through Sunday. And so uh, just getting to talk to people in the hobby and really understanding sort of, you know, what are they looking at? How are they looking at things? If people have feedback, 
always feel free to come up to me and offer feedback, whether that's specific to the data that we're bringing to the market every week, every month, uh, or the tool, you know, some of the universal pop report stuff that we're working on, but nothing, we don't, we don't have a booth. We don't really, I just like walk on the floor and sort of talking. Sure. Okay, guys, Ryan Stekczynski from gemrate.com. He is the best. He supplies all our uh, grading statistics from uh, weekly. We give, we give the weekly grading statistics every uh, Wednesday. We do the uh, the monthly grading statistics. We try to uh, look into some of the statistics that you put out on the website. We also uh, do a big three every week, which is exclusive to TCAST listeners just for us. So, Ryan, I really appreciate your support for the show. And we'll see you in Chicago, my friend. Safe travels. Yeah, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you there. And I thank you in advance for the Ellie. Oh, no problem. We'll, we'll see you in Chicago. Thank you, Ryan. All righty. Talk to you soon. Bye. Well, Drew, I, I always bring Ryan in to give us a break, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always good I to love, have a little pause in there for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, lo- I love Ryan because uh, he he brings reason to numbers. You know, sometimes we look at him like, well, why is this? Why is that? Ryan is the one that generates all these numbers for us each week. Uh, we appreciate Ryan uh, helping us out. Gemrate.com. They follow all the big four grading uh, companies, as well as providing exclusive statistics for the big three. So Ryan, thank you for joining us this week. And we will see you in Chicago as well. Well, that wraps up making the grade. Next up is the TTMcast stamp of approval. I bet you're wondering who earned this week's TTM cast stamp of approval. Drew, why don't you do yours? Because I'm fighting a, a summer cold here and I need a, I need to take a, a drink or I'm going to die. All right. <laughs> so mine goes for uh, went and checked out stuff on Amazon Prime Day, which was uh, this past week. Uh, my wife and I are both big fans. Of that. We've got Prime itself and we figure, all right, Prime Day, let's see what kind of deals we can get. And one of the big things I needed was some new shoes because I've been sitting here wearing these uh, Columbia tennis shoes that... I've had for probably about a year, maybe two and a half years at this point now, but notice there's a hole in the top of them. It's like, ah, oh, that's not good. I'm probably better Those looking for hockey shoes. I, I use them for everything. I wear them for, for playing floorball. I use them for, you know, running out and getting autographs for anything, just, you know, running up the store even. And so, I mean, they've served me very well. They're, Columbia makes great stuff, but it got a hole in the top of one of them. The soles are getting worn down. It's like, all right, it is time to go ahead and get something new and, especially with all the feet problems that I have, I have to wear orthotics in my shoes and stuff because of super low arches, dealing with gout, all that fun crap there. So I'm like, all right, I'll go out and find a new pair. So I went up to uh, Burlington and checked out their shoes and picked up a pair. And it's like, hey, these look good and they feel good and everything. And I wore them twice before they started ripping on the top of them. It's like, oh, okay, that's, that's no good. So I figured, all right, Amazon Prime Day, they've got to have something in the way of shoes. And yeah, I found two different pairs of shoes. One of them was actually recommended for floorball players to wear and was recommended for people who have orthotics. So I'm like, all right, great, we'll get those. And then uh, it's a pair of Asics ones for those. And then I found these ones that are these ones made by some company in China called Just So So Shoes. And so it has these uh, this band on it that says Just So So. And like, that's kind of funny because I could say, oh, yeah, hey, look, they put my floorball scouting report right on the back of this year. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, we're going to grab those. We'll try those out. And I got them in and it's, I mean... They're surprisingly good for the price. I mean, I think it was like 25 bucks for this pair of them. They've got them under several different uh, sellers on Amazon. I'll have several different sellers of brands or whatever, but look for the band. This is just so-so. And they come in like a whole bunch of different colors and designs. You got these ones that are black with kind of like white and gray specks on them. Don't really know how to describe them besides that, but they were ridiculously comfortable. I wore them yesterday for the first time going out and getting autographs. My orthotics fit very well into them. The insole is a little bit hard because I have to take out the uh, regular insole they put in there and put these ones in. So 
it's a little bit hard on there, but I might be able to actually put the uh, old ones, the 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 regular ones in there along with. I'm going to try that out today and see how they go. But for like 25 bucks or whatever it was, I think maybe 30 at the most, 35 maybe. But for that price, these were great shoes. I'm hoping they hold up for a long time like these, uh, not like those ones I picked up at Burlington and at least as well as those ones I got at uh, from uh, Columbia. So my stamp approval for the week, Amazon, just so, so brand shoes. Check them out. They're, they're kind of weird, not exactly the most super stylish of anything, but they're pretty damn comfortable. Okay, we'll have to check out, check on you in like a month or two and see how, how they're holding up, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, see if they see if they do better than the uh, Burlington Levi's shoes there. All right, my TTM cast stamp approval is uh, Frozen Charleston shoes. Uh, you know, we got our um, we got our uh, new little refrigerator thing that we would talk about. I talked about oh, a yeah. couple weeks ago. So we put these in the in the bottom of the the refrigerator, and they're they're the the like the I don't know, like the ten, nickel or ten cent ones that you used to see when you were oh, yeah. kids. You know, the the just a thin Charleston shoe. So yeah. um, they're they're like they're for this they're, they're for, semi frozen and oh, I'm I'm addicted to them. I have like two of them every day. Nice. <laughs> they're so good. So I am going for the frozen Charleston shoe, guys. That is uh, that is my TTM cast stamp approval. Simple, straightforward. You need a little kick. You need a little piece of. Uh, chocolate, some marshmallow, whatever. Frozen Charleston Chews is my TTM cast stamp of approval. That was quick and painless. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Drew. Next up is the Burn Wrap Minute. You want to do it? You want to do the intro? All right. The Vern Rap Minute is dedicated to the memory of Mr. Vern Rap, who Jeff uh, sent an autograph request out to, not realizing that he had already died, unfortunately. So we provide a service to all of the collectors out there so that you don't make the mistakes that we have made. And we let you know who in the world of sports, celebrity, music, movies, politics, anybody that you might consider TTMing, if they have died in the last week, we'll try to keep you updated on that. Have you sent a TTM request to someone in the past? I haven't, but I have, I've had this weird bad luck of sending one out and having them die like a week after I send it. I've had that happen <laughs> yep. four different times. And two of the times they died after like the day they signed my stuff, they signed wow. my stuff, sent it back and died later that day has happened twice. And I've had two of them that have died before they ever got to it. Yeah. I had, I had uh, Vern rap and I had another guy, I think it was Bob Parsons was a punter, right? Yeah, I think yeah, I, I, sent him, I sent him out last year. I think we we somehow missed him on the Vern Rap Minute, and I missed that he passed away. And I sent it, and you know his family member sent sent the card back saying he's no longer with us. Like, oops. Yep, I had uh, it was Hal Haydell, who was a pitcher for the Twins. I had mailed out to him, and uh, he's the one who I think he died like maybe three days after I sent it. I didn't know that he had been he was in hospice with cancer at the time. So that that's yeah. And then the other one was uh, Lee Stang, the former Red Sox pitcher. Yeah. I mailed out to him and he died two days later and got a note back from the family saying, yeah, sorry, he, uh, he passed on. Here's the, uh, 
they actually did send the uh, one of the little program things from his funeral there along with it. So. Yeah, I got um, Wade Wilson. I got that for yeah. Wade Wilson when he yeah. passed. So, all right, guys, this here's our burn right minute. Uh, we lost Joe Campbell. Joe was a defensive end. He played for the Saints, Raiders, and the Buccaneers from 1977 to 1981. When he went to Maryland, uh, I believe they said he is in the Delaware Hall of Fame. I think he's from Delaware, obviously. Oh, wow. uh, he was a pretty good TTM. He lost TTM in 2000, February of 2023 this year. Uh, Joe Campbell was 68 years old. That might make him about the third most famous person from Delaware then, because I cannot think of too many people. <laughs> Joe Biden is still number one. Joe Biden and Aubrey Plaza are the top two. And actually, Aubrey Plaza was ranked the number one most famous person from Delaware a couple of years ago, beating out Biden. So, yeah, she is. A, she is in another world, isn't she? She is. Oh, God, her interviews are weirdly hilarious. Every yeah, time she does she, any of them. yeah, she's just I mean, I've seen her on Saturday Night Live and I've seen her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen a lot of her interviews and she's just cooked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's an I don't know if it's an actor if it's really her, you know what I mean? I don't like, know. Yeah, it might it might be an alien. I don't know. We really don't. Know. No, you know what I mean. Like if, if yeah. she's really like that, or she's just putting on an act. Like yeah, you know, Paris could... Hilton was was one. You know, she she she's not as dumb as her her persona, her, her public persona, and she's really, you know, you know, she really plays that up. You know, yeah. maybe Aubrey Aubrey uh, Plaza is kind of like that as well. That's entirely possible. I could I could see that. Yeah. Let's see. We also lost C.R. Roberts this week. He was a fullback, played for the 49ers from 1959 to 1962, and was at USC, the first black running back at USC, actually. So uh, barriers broken by him there in his career. Played 27 games in the NFL in those years that I mentioned. He last TTM'd in 2010. C.R. Roberts was 87 years old. This one, I, you, Drew, you know I have a soft spot for uh, people that played in the All-American Girls Baseball, Professional Baseball League. I, yes. I just, I, you know, they're trailblazers. I love the movie. I, anytime I've had any interaction with these women, uh, they're, they're just fantastic ambassadors to the game. And we lost Helen Nordquist, Nordquist and uh, she was a local girl. She went to, she was born in Boston. She went to Malden. She was, uh, grew up in Malden, which is just a couple towns over from here. She was a pitcher and a right fielder for the Kenosha Comets, the Rockford Peaches, the South Bend Blue Sox. Uh, she uh, played from 51 to 54. Her last CTM was 2015. Helen Nordquist was 91 years old. Uh, we lost uh, Chris Hoggy this week, I think is how it's pronounced. Hoggy, Howie, Hoey, something like that. Known as Bud, Bud Hoggy. Played one game with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1943. Made his Major League debut at the age of 18. And oddly enough, also making his debut that day was Hall of Famer Gil Hodges. Uh, Hoggy ended up losing the game. He's an 0-1 career record. A 3.86 ERA it was the last game of the season. And not only was he 18, it was his 18th birthday that he made his debut here. Playing against the Reds and... That was it. That was it for his career. He went off to World War II, fought in it, came back. Obviously, wasn't killed in World War II since he, you know, made it all the way to age 96 here, but never played another ball game again after that. Uh, his last TTM was in 2015. Bud Howie was 96 years old. I so love the the stories of the guys that played one game and yeah, you know they made it to the pinnacle and and, and yeah, what is it? There's like over twenty thousand people that have played a, in a major league game, but still only twenty thousand people in a whatever you know one hundred and twenty years, one hundred thirty years, or whatever it is. So uh, and at least he he, he carried a three point eight six ERA, not not a twenty seven point five ERA like some <laughs> right. of these guys, you know, exactly. So, 
It's too bad. Uh, we lost Gary Allen. Gary Allen was a running back for the Houston Oilers and Dallas Cowboys. He went to the University of Hawaii, which I I got, went and spent a semester there. I loved, loved the University of Hawaii when I was there. Uh, Gary Allen uh, played from 1982 to 1984. He uh, did not do TTMs. Gary Allen was 63 years old. And lastly, we lost Jimmy Weldon this week from the World of Entertainment. He did the voice of Yankee Doodle Duck for the uh, Hanna-Barbera cartoons. You may have seen some of those back uh, back in the day when had kind of the animation renaissance there of the 50s and 60s with Hanna-Barbera making, uh, making all their stuff. Jimmy Weldon, 99 years old. Yeah, there's not too many of the pioneers, you know, these, these uh, animation pioneers from the, the 50s and 60s that are still with us. So it's too bad. Uh, and that is uh, that is it for the Rap Minute. Our uh, sympathy uh, goes out to anyone that lost anyone this week, and we are sorry for your loss. Well, Drew, next up is returns. Yes. Was our mailbox full this week? Let's take a look at this week's TTM returns. All right, let's do a little TTM returns. See, I told you, Drew, when you started get going, I'd get you going, and you're you're back. You're 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 like at peak optimum right now in terms of you you got everything going. As soon as you get me ranting on the Cleveland Guardians bullpen, that'll get that, that wakes me up right there. I know like, I'm mad as go. hell, and I'm not going to take any more. So. Didn't I promise anyone, everyone? Yeah. I said you, you came on, you were a little little groggy, and yeah. then we got you, we got you talking, and then you forgot, you forgot about being tired and hungry and and, and a, a little hungover. I know you don't drink, but <laughs> <laughs> right. But it, it, was got, it was a baseball hangover. It was a baseball hangover. Baseball hangover. Yeah. Yep. And pissed off because you didn't get any autographs at the yeah, Rangers exactly. game. I would have been so pissed. When you can't get autographs, something's wrong. It really Yeah. And I mean, there's there's so much wrong with the Rangers ballpark. And so yeah. All right, guys. Well, I had I had a lot of returns this week. I had 16 actually. I'll do mine and then Drew is gonna actually open a one of his returns live here on air. So but let me yes. do mine. I got uh two from Dennis Eckersley. Uh, very cool. I was happy to get that. Those that took about, I don't know, maybe four weeks. And then I got a bunch of not, 1973 Tops football cards back. I got uh, hat, hat. Okay, Drew, you're going to have to tell me the teams these guys play on. Can we quiz you? Oh, geez. All right. Halvor Hagen, you know him? I have never even heard of him. I couldn't tell you his team, his position, anything about him. All right. He played for my New England Patriots. Okay. My New England Patriots. He was. He's a, he's the German guy. Nice. If you couldn't tell with that name. Yeah, makes sense. He was, let me see. I think he was a defensive end, but I'm going to get that. Let me find his card. He was, no, he's a guard. He was an offensive lineman. He wore number okay. 63. And then I got a Jim Bailey. Do you remember Jim Bailey? Jim Bailey played for the Colts. Okay. And he, he was a defensive tackle for the Baltimore Colts. Then I got uh, John Schmidt. John Schmidt was a center for the New York Jets, and he actually played in Super Bowl with the New York Jets. He was the center for the with the New York Jets. Uh, then I got Billy Hayhoe. Billy Hayhoe. He played for, I believe it was the Saints. You know, no, he played for the Green Bay Packers. He was a tackle. Okay. He played for the Green Bay Packers. He signed my card. These these all came back in like two to three weeks. Um, okay, Fred. Hoagland, Fred Hoagland. Do you remember him, Drew? Cleveland Browns center. He was the center and he played for the Colts as well. Okay. I knew he was a Brown. So that's, that's my there you first go. Very good. I give you an A plus for that one. Yes. All right. This gentleman who was going to be a guest on our show, because I interviewed him. He mm-hmm. went to uh, 
he went to Boston University, played on the only Boston University team that went to a bowl. Is the only wow. team that uh, BU team that went to the bowl. BU does not have football anymore, and he's mm-hmm. a local guy, and he's very he, he's very funny. He told a lot of good stories. His name is Pat Hughes. He played like ten years for linebacker for the Giants and the Saints. Nice. I got uh, Jim Skaggs. Remember Jim Skaggs, Drew? Don't remember him at all. Jim Skaggs. You know why? Because these are all offensive linemen, Drew. That's that. That explains it. Yep. He played offense. He played guard for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Dave Foley. You know Dave Foley, right? Yes. Part of the electric company with the Bills. That's right. With the Bills. Dave Foley. Got it. Got him. I knew you could knew him. Uh, yeah. Okay. This. How about this one? This guy's a good. I spoke to him on the. I spoke to him two times already. We might get him on the show. Right. Margene Adkins. I don't know him. He was a wide receiver with the Saints. He had the uh, he was the fastest guy in the CFL. Oh, and wow. then he came over and played with the Saints and the Cowboys and a couple other teams. Very funny guy. I'm, he he's very a little gun shy, uh, camera shy, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm I'm hoping we get him on the show. He was he was a great guy to talk to. You might know this guy, Johnny Fuller. The name sounds familiar. Yeah, was you he... look at him, you're like, oh yeah, remember him? He played he played uh, safety for the 49ers. Okay. 49ers. Okay. Yeah. And then John Morris, you know John Morris? Are we getting into hockey now with him? No, Former no. Devil? Football. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I don't know him then. He played for the Patriots. He was a center. He played a long time for the Patriots. Because okay. there was John a former uh, there was a former New Jersey Devils player who was named John Morris, spelled the same way too. So that's what had me going there. Yeah, he he's a local guy. He was okay. he was uh he was born in Essex, Massachusetts, and you know he's he's still around the local area. So he, he goes to a lot of the Patriots things. Also, I got Craig Ramsey, Craig Ramsey, who played for the Buffalo Sabres. Mm-hmm. I got two cards from him. I got Garfield Hurd on a 76 uh, tops basketball guard, one of the, the tall boys. Nice. Uh, he played for the Suns. And who else did he, he play for a couple of teams, didn't he? he Probably the, uh, my, my Seattle, 70s basketball knowledge Buff, is pretty Sad- Seattle, Buffalo, the Suns. He went to Oklahoma. There we go. So I got Garfield, Garfield Hurd, and then I got two yesterday. I got uh, Mike Bearback, who was a pitcher for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. The pride of Orville, Ohio, as well. Okay. he. Uh, I think this is rookie card. Did he said in Pops rookie card? Yeah, I think that's his uh, rookie. But, uh, yeah, Orville, Ohio went to Kent State as well. I remember because uh, I said to him a few years ago, and I'm like, hey, wait a second. I, I, I know that town. And then lastly, I got Mike Lloyd. Lloyd, L-O-Y-N-D, from the, he was a Texas Ranger. Yeah. And uh, he was, he, he won two games in, in 86. So I'm not sure how, what his career was like, because I haven't re- researched him yet. But that wraps up all my TTMs. And most of these were, I would say, um, you know, two to three weeks returns. Gar- Garfield Heard took a while. Yeah. It was a couple months. But that was, uh, I got uh, 16 returns including a Dennis Eckersley, two from Dennis Eckersley. So we're very happy about that. Yeah, that's a super solid week right there. All right, bud, how'd you do? I did all right. It's definitely better than last week when I had, you know, that whole one to talk about. So this week I actually have two, and I'm going to open a third one live on the show here. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah, this will be good. So uh, first one, two that I got in, uh, both coming in on Monday, I think it was. We got Kelly Rudy, former goalie for several teams with uh, the Sharks, with the Kings, and the New York Islanders. Needed him for my 88-89 top set, so we signed that one and a couple others. And even wrote a short note back saying, hey, thanks for the kind words. I mentioned stuff about his broadcasting career in there. And so, uh, yeah, it was good to – it's always nice getting a short note like that back. 
Uh, got Rodney Scott. Now, this is not the guy that was an outfielder back in the 80s for the Mariners. This is instead a guy who is in the Topps Herod or Topps uh, Alan Ginter sets. And uh, he was in there as a one of the non-sports guys. He is a barbecue cook, owns oh, a couple wow. of restaurants down in the in the uh, southeast. There, I think it's uh, serves Carolina barbecue and it's a whole hog barbecue is the name of his restaurant. It's what they specialize in as well. But I had uh, two of his regular Alan Gidder cards and two of the minis, courtesy of my friend Chris. He said, hey, yeah, if you want to send these out? I'm like, all right, yeah, we'll go for that. And so he sent back all four signed, two for me, two for Chris. So that worked out quite nicely. And like I said, we're going to open one live right here. This one, uh, no postmark on it. But the initials I put on are BS. And I think it's going to be a former uh, Boston Bruins player that we're going to be seeing. Bob Sweeney? I think so. That is exactly who I'm thinking this is. Well, uh, That was pretty good. See, I can do, I yeah. can do the grid thing. Yeah, exactly. See, there you go. And so we'll see if that's who this is. And uh, yes, it is. This is Bob Sweeney that I got back. And uh, he signed all four cards I sent, including right there, one for the 88-89 Oh, so, those are nice. I really like those cards. Yeah, I love that thumbtack design there on those ones. And so I think this officially puts me at 25% of the way done with this set. I'll have to make sure. I think it, I'm either at 25% or I'm one short of 25%. But uh, yeah, hopefully uh, that'll come pretty soon here because... I've got one more coming in later today into my mailbox, and I think it's going to be Ron Hextall. And if he signed oh, both nice. cards that I sent, if he signed both cards that I sent, then yeah, they'll put me up to that at twenty five percent mark, which is pretty good considering I just started on the set back in what like March or thereabouts. So, how many pe- how many some- people have we lost in the in the set? Do you know? Not that many. I think there's maybe like five or six. I can actually find it real quick here because I've got my Google Drive up. But I know like, like uh, see here, Bob Probert's rookie card is in there. That's one of them. That's uh, gonna be tough to get because i mean number one he's dead number two he wasn't much of a didn't sign a whole ton to begin with and yep and number three it's his rookie card so i mean if it that's fortunately i think there's probably a few out there at least from people but let's see here i can pull up my want list i can tell like so i've got a mark i mark on my want list everybody that has uh passed away just so i know and he'll go accidentally trying to you know go tt yemming them or something like that but let me see here if this will load. Yeah, I think I'm going to do some hockey this week. I I, I didn't yeah. do anything um, this past week, so I got to – I think I'm going to do a hockey run this week. Yeah. Okay, here we go. So, yeah, the ones who have died so far, Peter Klima, who recently – Yeah, he just passed. Uh, Dale Howardchuk, who died in 2020. Uh, Sean Bird died in 2013. Clark Gillies in uh, 2022. Yeah. Ilka Sinisalo in uh, 2017. He might be a tough one. Yeah, he could be. Uh, Peter I bet Zezel. there's a lot of Clark Gillies out there. Yeah, there's going to be plenty of Gillies, I'm sure. Uh, Peter Zezel died in 2009. There's got to be a lot of him out there, though, I think. Uh, Walt Podobny in 2009. Brad McCrimmon in 2011. Yeah. And Bob Probert I bet there's a lot of Brad McCrimmon. He was, I think he was a pretty good signer. He was a great signer. I got him in person once, and he would sit there and, like, comment on each of the photos. I was like, oh, yeah, it's one of my favorite photos right there. And, yeah, yeah I love the uh, the old sweaters on that one. And, yeah, so nine players out of 198 in there. 198 cards, 196 players. Nine of them are dead. So it's doable. It's not like I've got anybody who, you know, died, like, a year after the card came out or anything yep. like that. Did you um have you did you send out all your international ones that, that you were working on? You're gonna do Korea and uh if you know Julio Franco, if you can get those all out. Yeah, those are all out in the mail. So hopefully those are gonna be on their way to uh Asia, down to Mexico, and hopefully I have a few of those start rolling back here in maybe uh, maybe a month or so. Yeah, I've I've got a Gilbert Perot card that I put aside that I gotta get out. I want I gotta go get some I gotta buy some Canadian stamps. I, oh yeah. I'm a little behind on my Canadian stamps, but I think I'll get, I'll do that and get, I want to get some hockey out this week. Yeah, definitely. All right, buddy. Thank you. Good yeah. returns. 
very good week return. So thank you guys. Uh, guys, I, I think we're, we're ready to put a ball on this and wrap it up. What do you think, Drew? Yeah, I think so. And this is how it ends. Boy, we had a lot this week. We talked. <laughs> we had a lot to talk about. But I think when when I was looking at the outline, I was like, "Geez, we had a lot, a lot going on." A very busy week. First, I want to thank Ryan Seaver for joining us. He wrote a book. It's a great book. It is called uh, "Cardboard Profit," and it gives you kind of a um, a guide to how to make money selling cards. It's a really interesting book. It's a it's a good book to read. It's a good resource. So we're going to give away a, a copy of his book. So send me your name and your mailing address. Guys, don't forget the mailing address, please. I hate to come back to you and say, How, you won, but I don't have your mailing address. So send me your name and your mailing address. We will pick that winner next week, next Saturday. Uh, so if you want to win, just put uh, um, Seaver or a book or something like that in the subject line, your name and your mailing address and send it to us at TTMcast at yahoo.com. My friend, Les Wolf, thank you very much, Les Wolf, for, for joining uh, us this week and doing some uh, appraisals. Les has been a great addition to the show. I love talking to Les. We will see Les at the National. I'll probably spend a little time in Les's booth. It's always fun to watch him in action, Drew. It absolutely is. And even just like the interviews there, my friend uh, Mark, who I've been trying to get to do an interview for the show there, he messaged me the other day and says, man, hearing less, it's like listening to classic Don Cherry on Coach's Corner. I'm like, yes, he is the co- he is the cl- he is the collectibles world's version of like Don Cherry with stuff. I mean, knowledge, opinions yeah, and just the ability to just go doing, on about anything. He's been doing it for 60 years, Drew. So there's not yeah. much stuff that hasn't that has got by him. You know what I mean? And he's yeah. seen he's seen it all. And what I what I love about less, honestly, is his the you know, he uh stands behind everything he sells he's he's yep. very honest in terms of you don't have to worry about buying crap from him you know what i mean if you buy an autograph from him you know it's going to be real right he's not the used car seller type uh type dealer out there for yeah sure. he loves he loves the hobby he loves what it, he loves what we're doing and um he you know sure he does it he does it to make money but he's first mm-hmm. a collector and then then a dealer if you know what i mean he exactly. i think he would do it for free if he could he he was basically sells the autographs so we can so we can uh, build up his personal collection. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so he's he's a great guy, and I'm glad that he came to us. And, and I think he's a a great addition to the show. And I hope you guys enjoy uh, all the time we have with Les because I, I feel blessed to to talk to him. Uh, on Wednesday's show, we had Derek Grady from Heritage Auction. So make sure you go back and listen to TTM Cast One on One. We had Derek Grady on Wednesday show. This Wednesday show, we're going to have Ted Mann, who is the founder and president of Collects. And we're going to talk to him about his new marketplace and make sure you guys get that $10 coupon. I don't know how long, much longer he's going to, he's going to ha- let it go. You know what I mean? He's just, he's just handing out $10 bills on the street, guys. That's what he's doing. So uh, make sure you sign up for the collects coupon $10 uh, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to Ted about the new marketplace on Saturday. We're going to have Scott Hunter who played uh, quarterback from our number teams, including the Green Bay Packers. He was at Alabama. He played for Bear Bryant. So we're going to talk to Scott about his time in college football and the pros and Greg Bates, who is from Green Bay as well. And he talks about, uh, we talk about the Green Bay Packers and he writes all sorts of cool hobby articles for Sports Collectors Digest, as well as uh, he's a freelance writer. So we're going to talk to Greg Bates about the national and all sorts of other cool stuff. So that will be next Saturday. We have a lot of stuff. And uh, Drew, I've, I think I've li- interviewed uh, four or five former NFL players in the past week. So we got a nice. lot of 
we got a lot of former NFL players that we're going to be talking with. Um, anything else you want to add before I let you go? No, I think we uh, wrapped this one up pretty well. I mean, we had a kind of couple of calmer, slower shows here the previous two weeks, but we got the national two weeks away. So, I mean, we're starting to ramp up. We're hitting, we had the calm before the storm. And right now it's like, all right, welcome to the jungle kids. Here we go. Yeah. A lot going on well, guys. I want to wish everyone many happy returns. We will see you on Wednesday. Be good. Stay safe. Thank you.